UFO Target, Michigan, with special guest Cheryl Costa, episode 45 in the beginning of season three of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Let's go! Welcome to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast, coming to you from the glacial dumping grounds known as the Michigan Basin. I'm Michelle. And I am Wayne. And we are a Michigan-based husband and wife educator and podcasting duo that after having a UFO sighting in March of 2018, have started to examine UFOs and other paranormal topics within Michigan and beyond. Topics include UFOs, the paranormal, conspiracy theories, ghosts, alternative history and archaeology, cryptids, and all things strange and paranormal. So sit back, grab a drink, and come along with us on this journey down the paranormal rabbit hole. Hey everyone, welcome to the season opener. I don't think either one of us can believe that here we are starting out the third season of the only podcast that takes you down the rabbit hole on an escalator. (laughs) Yes, the escalator. And boy, does the escalator go deep starting out on the very first episode of season three. This is going to be amazing. So when I yelled earlier, let's go, let's go, because we got a two-hour interview with Cheryl Costa. An amazing, amazing interview. So everybody, go grab that drink. So you can kick back and let's get things going. Uh, And don't forget that After the Cast Live is coming to you next Saturday, January 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Yeah, we will be live on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook to talk about the latest interview and more. So yeah, make sure to mark your calendar and check it out. Also, don't forget, if you have a story that you would like to tell, we would like to talk to you. You can reach out to us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. Send us a brief summary of your experience and we'll contact you to discuss things further and try to get you or your story on the podcast. In fact, thanks to our listeners, we have quite the story to share with you in the communication corner tonight. Quite a eerie sighting in the state of Michigan. Yeah, right from the uh, city of Madison Heights. So we'll be sharing that with you guys shortly. So once again, everybody, thank you for joining us at the time of this recording. It is January 14th, 2023. And man, things are going to really start happening this year. What do you think, Michelle? I know after just getting over Friday the 13th, we didn't win Mega Millions. So one lucky winner in Maine didn't. I know. Here we are doing another episode. So that's how you know we didn't win. Could be on a beach somewhere with a drink that has a little umbrella sticking out of it. Um, I need my Mai Tai. I don't know. This weather No salt. No salt. It's like sunny and you think that it's warm out and you get out and you're like, oh, yeah, no. Need warm weather. Need summer. We're in the phase of the... uh, the winter here where we don't get to see the sun except maybe once every 20 days or so. We're in the phase of winter here waiting when it's going to dump snow on us too. It's coming. Just be ready for it. 
Well, Michelle, I think it's time to beg the listeners for some support. What do you think? <laughs> well, if you would also like to help support the podcast, stay active. Please, please, please. Look in the show description for our link tree and click on that. There are so many options linked in there to keep the research and conversation going. Just check out our link tree after the show. Yeah, you can find places like PayPal. You can buy us a coffee. Which is what I'm drinking. You can buy some of our merchandise. And all of that money goes to just help get us more equipment, go to any conventions, things like that, so we can make more connections and bring more people onto the show for you guys. So, Yeah, we know somebody over here who's excited to go to... Cosmic Summit. Yeah. Yeah. June 16th, baby, I'm flying out. Going to hang out with Randall Carlson and Graham Hancock and Johanna James and Ben Van Kirkwood. Yep. And Jimmy from Bright Insight. Oh, yeah. All kinds of people are going to be there. Wayne's going to have a blast. Yep. So, again, any support you can give us would be greatly appreciated to help us offset the cost for some of these things. So, so and we got a shout out to our patron, Hava H. So she's a continuing supporter of the podcast. Yeah, I think she's been a supporter now for almost about seven or eight months. Hava's awesome. Yeah, she's great. So and speaking of giving a shout out. Yeah, I'm kind of hungry. Uh, I, I think we need to go grab some dinner from our favorite local diner. New Boston Coney and Grill. Yes. Time for a turkey club. Let's go eat, baby. New <laughs> Boston Coney and Grill. <laughs> Traveling near New Boston, Michigan? Hungry? Well, then you need to check out New Boston Coney and Grill tucked away at 37005 Huron River Drive with daily specials, homemade soups and desserts, and a staff that makes you feel like family. You will not be disappointed. Give them a try for dine in or carry out at 734 606 5313. You can find their page, including their menu, on Facebook. Bon appetit! Shall I just check the email box and you've got mail? Yeah, it's time to creep on over to Communication Corner. So we have a story from Ryan. I live in Madison Heights with my wife and three kids. We're at the John R. and 11 Mile area. So, in fact, what he witnessed, he got video of. My wife and I were in the driveway talking, and it was early afternoon. We just happened to look up and saw what at first I thought was a plane. It was slightly above the cloud cover, but it was still big enough to see that for one, it was a very bright white. It was almost as if it was illuminated, but not sending any light around it, if that makes any sense. I could also tell that there weren't any wings to speak of. My wife and I were discussing it, if it was a plane or not, when it immediately started traveling in the opposite direction. It was traveling southwest and without banking, turning or slowing down, started traveling southeast. I pulled my phone out and videoed until it was out of sight. I have been extremely skeptical of UFOs until my first unexplained sighting a year and a half previous to this one, which I've got video for and happened to be traveling north on Mound Road at approximately 5.30 a.m. I can explain that sighting as well if you're interested. Oh, Ryan, we're interested. Yes, yes. Send that email. 
So that sighting was more than one craft and was a completely different shape, flew much lower and lasted much longer. I think out of the two, it's maybe explainable. I'm not sure. I wonder if it was a triangle. Yeah. Well, so, this one looks like a triangle. It's just very bright. Yeah. It, it, you know, this one, after watching the video um, that he shared with us, it looks like the one that my friend from high school was explaining to me that flew over the treetops in Ohio. Yeah, but this thing is high. It's flying over the clouds. It, yeah. It's very high. It's not a jet because there's no contrail and it's moving extremely fast. It's very strange. It's it's a UFO, UAP for sure. Well, and here he's got more. Secondly, I've got a cabin in Port Hope right on 25 and on the Lake Huron shore. The light pollution is much lower, and I like to stare and gaze and catch the satellites, ISS and Starlink. Many times I've found a strange cluster of stars in the sky above the lake that will have a lot of activity that at first I thought were satellites. What changed my mind was that one will periodically leave and check out a passing satellite and then either return or continue on in an S-type flight path. I haven't gotten very good video of those sightings, though, as I'm not equipped with the type of cameras needed for them being so high up, especially at night, too. It really, really is hard to get them at night. I've got still images of the cluster, etc. So, and he said, if we're interested in any further information or would like to discuss it further, I think it's going to be time for us to reach out to ryan and find out more about that other sighting yeah ryan if you can please type up that other sighting and send it to us and we'll uh read it on air and one of the important things you could do is let us know the date because if we can put it out there and we hear from other people that may have been sky watching or around on that date we can connect your sightings with other eyewitness accounts. So uh, that would be awesome. And I do believe this sighting you had told me was last year sometime, like in June of 2022. So if anybody saw anything like this around Madison Heights on June of 2022, please let us know. Okay, Michelle, that was an interesting email, but I think it's my favorite time. It's time for What's in the News. Yeah, baby. Jeez. What is in the news? (sighs) Coming from the Hill, the number of reported UFO incidents increasing, government says. This coming to us just a couple days ago, January 12th of 23. Is it our missing uh, 2022 Halloween UFO report by any chance? I was going to say. All right, let's see what they have to say, because I know people have already been talking about the disaster that is this uh, ODNI report from October 31st of 2022, which they missed, by the way. 
Well, it says here the number of reported UFO incidents has sharply increased as more than 360 incidents have been reported or discovered in the past two years, according to a new intelligence report. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence, or the ODNI, released its annual report on unidentified aerial phenomena on Thursday as required by the National Defense Authorization Act for Fiscal 2022. The act requires the ODNI to work with the Secretary of Defense to submit an annual report to Congress on the subject of UAP. The report states that the Defense Department's All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, the AARO, which was established in July of 2022 to coordinate UAP tracking and analysis efforts beyond the department, received 247 UAP reports since the cutoff date of the ODNI's preliminary report on March 5th of 2021. Well, that's what the office is called this year. Yeah. Please come up with the longest possible name for an office. That's crazy. Please. (sighs) The preliminary report, which tracked the number of UAP incidents from 2004 to 2021 and was released in June of 2021, found 144 reports of UAP had been made. In addition to the 247 reports made since the cutoff date, 119 reports were issued on events that happened before March 5th of 2021, but were not reported or discovered until after that date. This sets the total number of additional reported UAP incidents beyond those from the preliminary report at 366. The AARO conducted an initial analysis of the 366 newly reported incidents and found that more than half of them had unremarkable characteristics. The office characterized 163 reports as balloons or balloon-like entities, 26 reports as unmanned aircraft systems or similar entities, and six as attributed to clutter. Oh man. Okay, I'm I'm Nothing like I'm this. dying. There Where's my with, drink at? There we go with the space clutter again. Well, it's um, it's uh it's balloons. Uh, it's it's balloon and some of them are. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to grant that, but uh Quit lighting those what is it? Those Chinese lanterns, the Japanese lanterns? Yeah, well they could be weather balloons, you know. Do we even use weather balloons anymore? I I think I we do, but uh I mean, I don't think they're used as much as we use satellites for collecting data I was and stuff. Say, I thought it was more satellites now. Um, the initial characterization does not necessarily mean a report is positively resolved or unidentified. It only allows the AARO and the ODNI to more effectively use their resources to characterize the remaining 171 incidents, the report states. Most of the new UAP reporting came from Navy and Air Force aviators and operators who observed UAP while performing their job and reported them through official channels. Many of the reports do not have enough detailed data to explain what they were. The report concluded that reporting has increased in part because of an effort to destigmatize the topic and recognize that UAP pose a potential risk to flight safety and could signal activity from adversaries of the United States. <laughs> okay. 
as Cheryl says in the interview here in a little bit, what's a Chinese drone doing around Cleveland? <laughs> There's yeah. Gonna... So, you know, say, come on. say the same thing. What's a, what's a drone doing around Canton, Michigan? Um, it also states that coordinated efforts between the Defense Department and other government agencies have allowed officials to have access to increased data sets. You know, I think we got a, a solution for uh, the potential threat to you know, air safety and airlines, I think we need to install horns on airplanes. Oh, horns would be cool. Yeah. All right. So Senator Mark Warner, the, the, the Democrat from Virginia, the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, said in a statement that the report is a significant step forward in understanding the risks that aviators face, and he feels encouraged that he has seen an increase in UAP reporting. We then have the representative Adam Schiff, the Democrat from California, a former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. So the committee worked to destigmatize reporting and promote an all of government response to the reports. Unidentified aerial phenomena remain a national security matter, and I will continue to support through investigations of all UAP reports and oversight by the Congress, he said. Dun, dun, dun. That's what we waited almost a year and, what, four months? So to get. Three, 366 added to the 144. Wait a minute. Somebody call Mick Wes. It's balloons. It's a garbage bag. It's a plane. It's a drone. It's a plane. It's a balloon. Space clutter. Yeah. Okay. Well, when you can produce a balloon that is 300 feet on each side in the shape of a triangle with giant glowing orbs in each angular angular corner of that triangle and have it very bright yet not cast any light onto the ground, please, whatever that drone is, can I buy one? Yeah. And move without a sound. Oh, and then put things in your head like, get away. You don't belong here. Get out of here. Okay. I wish sometimes that I could get my students from one class to another to just slightly rotate and move without a sound. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only way you can do that with students is uh, with Jolly Ranchers. You got to bribe them with candy. <laughs> so, but we do not uh, endorse anymore. We do not endorse Jolly Ranchers. No, and they're and we're not endorsed by them. And their dentists would hate us. All right, Michelle, I know we're being a little feisty tonight, highly caffeinated and on a three-day weekend break from school, but we got to get to this interview because it went for two hours. So can you please tell us a little bit about our guest tonight? Well, Cheryl Ann Costa is a New York State native, um, born in 1952. Cheryl was born male, changed genders in her mid-30s in the late 1980s, and was a noted high-visibility trans activist of the 1980s through 2011. She was one of six people who coined the term transgender. In male persona, she served in the United States Air Force from 1970 through 72, with combat service in Vietnam as a telephone lineman. In male persona, she also served in the United States Navy in the Cold War submarine service from 1974 through 79, and from 1979 through 1982 in the active Naval Reserve. In the Navy, she was a Senior Electronic Warfare Specialist. In 
During her professional career, she became a vocationally published and produced one-act playwright with over 20 titles to her name. Some of her plays have been produced internationally. She enjoyed a 32-year aerospace industry career at Lockheed Martin. After she retired, she completed a bachelor's degree with the State University of New York at Empire State College in entertainment writing and production. She's a three-times published contributing mystery writer in the popular mystery anthology Adirondack Mysteries and Other Mountain Tales, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, compiled and edited by Dennis Webster. In her post-retirement, she pursued a vocational career as a columnist with the Syracuse New NewTimes.com writing the blog column, New York Skies, which was about UFOs from 2013 through 19. Both Cheryl and her wife, Linda, are considered respected UFO researchers with several groundbreaking books. So Google NYT Costa UFO. You're going to run across titles such as UFO Sightings, Desk Reference, United States of America, 2001 through 2015. UFO Sightings Desk Reference, United States of America, 2001 through 2020, the UFO Beat, and the UFO Scholars State Statistics Series. So, and then she's also dove into some magazine and freelance writing and more that you can check out in the bio. That's awesome. So, a very busy woman, and we are very happy to have her on the podcast. So, ladies and gentlemen, please help us welcome... Cheryl Costa. Cheryl, thank you for joining us on this season three opener. Happy to be here. We're very excited because I'm a science teacher. Michelle is an English teacher. And oh, no, I, I'm not a science guy. Yeah. <laughs> and I love data. And when I saw that somebody in our audience had said that you had put out all of these books on statistical analysis of reports. It was like, we got to get Cheryl on here and just, you know, talk about this. And we'll talk a little bit more here in a few minutes. Okay. But I know Michelle's got some questions she wants to start off with and ask you. So, yeah, we, we've got to start out the show just to kind of bring our listeners in to know a little bit more about you. So let me, let me set a ground rule up for you. Okay. Okay. Short of my ATM pin and what I did in the Navy. I'm I'm an open book. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I guess, can you tell our audience just a, a little bit about yourself and what first sparked your interest in the UFO phenomena? Uh, uh, first, first, I'm going to go to short story on this. It's going to be very fast. Uh, the My first UFO sighting was with my parents in August of 1965. I was 12. And it was a couple of weeks before school was going to be back back in session. And uh, we were coming down from my uncle's farm, you know, Southern tier of upstate New York. 
and uh, we were coming down off the hill. It had been a wet season. Corn was higher than the car, so to speak. And uh, my mother had my father stop the car. And it's about 4.30 in the afternoon. And it was a clear blue sky in every direction. And my mother pointed out into the western sky and parked out there like a rock was a sphere. Silvery sphere. Okay. And depending upon what the light was, it was just bright or it was a silvery sphere. And my mother said, well, NASA was only a few years old at that point. So she said it could be NASA, it could be the Air Force, it could be maybe weather balloons or something. And then she said, you know, it could be people from another world. And of course, that got the 12-year-old's mentality. My brother and sister were toddlers, so they were like out of the conversation. So we talked about it for about five or 10 minutes, got back on the road and got down to the bottom of the hill, turned to go to my hometown. And this was a 62 Chevy Impala. I got up in the back window of that thing and put my chin on my, on my fist and said, who are you guys? Who are you guys? I'm whispering to myself, right? And about 10 minutes later, I didn't see another effect like this until like the early 90s with one of the Star Trek movies. That type of thing. It shot off and it was like this burst of light and it was gone. And a thing like that changes you. And uh, so, you know, hey, you're 12, you're, you're 12 or 13 years old, you know, your teenager, mom and dad are stupid, you know, that kind of thing. So I was going through the regular teenage awkwardness there, but my mother and I can't don't agree on a lot of things and didn't at that time. And we still don't. Hell, I'm disowned and disinherited. So I mean, I must be doing something right. Uh, so, <laughs> so, um, but that was the one topic that kind of drew us to, together. And if I had a really good UFO sighting, I could, even though I am disowned, shunned, disinherited, all that stuff, I could probably still call my mother up and said, Hey, I got a really great UFO on the tell you. And she would listen to that and not much more. You'd be all about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, we started getting um, books at the library, used bookstores, sometimes the real bookstore, if you had the money for it. Um, I was a boy in those days. Mm. Okay. Uh, I changed 33 years ago, but I was a boy in those days. So I went to the barber shop. And if there was a good article about a UFO in Argosy magazine, you know, I'd take it across the street to the coffee place and copy it and take it home, you know, that type of thing, you know. Um, barber shop was a good place to get it because they had all these magazines that had that stuff, you know. And um, that was my first one. Uh, didn't say my mother in 1969 got this mimeograph letter from Illinois from some but some place called the uh, new place called the Mutual UFO Network. OK, and it was a little mimeograph letter. And um, I don't know if she joined, but I certainly couldn't. So I got in the Air Force about a year later and they gave us this list of about 150 organizations you couldn't be a member of and have a security clearance. So needless to say, uh, between the Air Force, two years there, was out for two years, helped my family recover from a flood, went back into service, couldn't get back in the Air Force, ended the Vietnam War. Uh, by the way, I served in Vietnam. Um, Client telephone poles, people shoot at you on those things. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> up there with a nice bright yellow safety jacket. Oh, yeah, that made yeah. a lot of sense in a combat Nice zone. target. 
Oh goodness, yes. And if they didn't shoot you off the pole, they might shoot the cape, the uh, hydraulic cable off your cherry picker. You know, <laughs> down you um, go. Uh, so uh, when I was in Vietnam, Christmas Eve, nineteen seventy-one. A friend of mine, uh, a guy I worked I worked with, and I decided we, uh, we, we were both sort of ex-Catholics at that point, and, and we said, oh, let's go to midnight mass for something to do. So we were walking down the debase chapel, it being Christmas Eve, the runway was more or less shut down. There was all quiescent lights down there, so there was no light pollution where we were. And we saw this thing streaking across the sky, and it stops. And my friend looked at me and says, uh, jets don't stop. And I said, and helicopters don't fly that fast. And we sat there looking at it. And I said, you know, if that's what I think it is, it, it's going to start dancing around like a fairy. Darn, if it didn't start bouncing around like a fairy, then gone. And neither one of us had our minds in midnight mass. Okay. So the rest of my career, I uh, got out of the Air Force, was in the Navy, did uh, collected electronic and photo intelligence on, on a submarine. I uh, can't tell you about any of that. Can't tell you where we were. I got two expeditionary medals for places I never went, but uh, that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, but I learned to be an analyst and how to collect data. Okay, okay. that was the early training in what we're doing here. Um, went to work for, uh, went to work into the defense industry coming out of the Navy. I got out of the Navy, a first class petty officer qualified in submarines. And in fact, if I had stayed in another two weeks, I would have been a chief petty officer. Oh, in fact, they were dangling that in front of me when they wanted me to sign the paper. And I told them no. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I went to work for Lockheed for 32 years at Lockheed Martin and got out of that and, uh, retired from there in 2011. Okay. The deal there was I was no longer under a security clearance. I finished a 40 year old bachelor's degree. I'd been doing credit every place, you know, over the years, but every time they transferred me, it was always, I'd have to transfer in and all this. Yep. So I just took the courses, got all the, all the credits together. Empire state college, my home state of upstate New York of New York, uh, drew it all together. Maybe do some uh, basic, uh, what do they call them? Oh, residency hours. Right. And yep. I got my degree in entertainment. I already had an associates in science and I got a bachelor's degree in entertainment writing and production. In fact, they wanted to just give me a creative writing, but when I showed them my five page resume, I had already produced radio shows, produced TV shows, written and published like 20 plays internationally produced that kind of thing. Uh, you've never heard of me, but the bottom line is, um, uh, they looked at the resume and said, good grief, why don't we call this something different? So we came up with the thing, entertainment, writing, and production. Wow, okay. It's now a model for other people. And I got my, my bachelor's degree. Um, about six months later, I went out and started pitching for a column. And I got laughed out of the offices of the editors, um, different newspapers, chased out of the office, had security take me to the door, you know, out of the office, that kind of thing. And then what happened, um, guy I used to work with called me up and said, hey, come on over to our weekly paper. So I went over to the weekly paper. We talked for half an hour. Turned out he, we're about the same age. We read the same stuff in high school, the, the Jack Anderson and the, uh, the, 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 all the people who published books back in the late 60s, early 70s. And he says, I'm sympathetic. I'll take four of your articles. We'll try you for a month. Okay. 
month later, he calls me up. He's got this tone like the Dread Pirate Roberts, almost likely kill you in the morning kind of tone. And he <laughs> says, get over here. We have to talk. I says, oh, that's it. You know, at least I got four articles, not five articles out there. Right. I get over there. I'm late. They're tearing up the parking lot. I'm 10 minutes late getting into the meeting. I come walking in. He's got all the columnists wrapped around this, this board table. I come walking in. He stops talking, points at me and says, there's our rock star. Hmm. I said, what are you talking about? He says, you've been here four weeks. And on the web edition, you're pulling more page views than all of the columnists combined. And then six months later, they told me I was pulling a national audience. This is a weekly paper in upstate awesome. New York. Yeah. We were pulling a national audience. And then at the Christmas party, the digital editor and the pu publisher get up there and say, she's pulling. She's the only person here pulling an international audience. <laughs> so uh, needless to say, we were, I worked for them, did a weekly column for every week for seven years until the paper went under. Wow. That's, that's quite a impressive resume. Now, can I ask you anything about anything on the submarine? I'm sure you're familiar with the, the USO thing, the, no, nothing with that. Okay. I've known okay. some other people that have been on some other podcasts that uh, were on submarines and they absolutely cannot talk about any kind of observable things that they've uh, uh, okay. collected data on underwater. Unlike the sea view. <laughs> the the bottom of the sea. No, there is not a big windshield in the front of the submarine. Right, you know, right. Uh, we're we're driving blind. Okay, um, uh, underwater, our only we're using navigational computers. We're monitoring our depth. We're uh, we're listening. We got guys in the sonar suite listening, and um, you could hear it in the speakers. You could hear lots of whales and other biologics out there making noise. Um, while I was on the ship for the five years I was on the ship, never heard anybody mention. And I was in a position where if there had been something like that, I would have known about it. Let's say it this way. There was about 30 people on the ship that if we were ever captured, 30 of us would never get off alive. Okay. Yep. So uh, I would have known about it, but no, no, we never had that issue at all. Well, I was going to say, you know, the, the second question that I had about, you know, the interest of, you know, writing the statistical analysis books um, and the connection with UFOs, you answered it. I mean, you were, well, you know, let me, let me qualify that for a moment. Okay. Okay. We're writing a weekly column. People say to us all the time, oh, wow, that must have been fun writing a weekly column. It's a thousand word term paper due every Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> Good okay? point. And the dog can't eat it. Okay. Um, or so you don't get paid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. But th the bottom line was um, you had to have something to write about. Now, I would frequently get in a situation where um, I'd be getting to like Wednesday morning and I didn't know what I was going to write about and have to deliver the next day. And Linda would say, well, you know, you haven't looked at such and such. You haven't discussed this either, you know, and she, she put a couple ideas out there and something would hit a hit a hit a sprocket and I say, Hey, yeah, I'll take a look at that. And I'd go, go research it for a couple of hours and knock out my 800 or a thousand words. And at one point, because New York state was my beat, we started trying to do locational information. We started looking up, you know, cities in upstate New York, that type of thing. I had access to the MUFON database as a guest uh, because uh, they, I was a journalist and they, I needed to be able to research. They were very kind to me. 
And, uh, of course, National UFO Reporting Center, you can just go out on the web. So I was gathering information. And one of the things we discovered was that MUFON collected county data, but National UFO Reporting Center didn't. In fact, uh, Peter Davenport said, stick a pin in the map. You know, that was the mail I got back from him. So um, we started adding, we started developing a rudimentary database at that point, And we started adding up county information. Well, finally, we got to a point where we'd done all 60 counties in New York state. And we started showing our information to uh, retired New York state uh, MUFON directors, former chief investigators. And they're looking at our paperwork and it was just, you know, maybe 20 pieces of paper and it's saying we didn't know there was a cluster there we didn't know there was a cluster there either who knew uh we all know about lake erie being you know the lake erie effect and everything but we didn't know there was a lake ontario effect you know everybody thought that the hudson valley was ground zero for ufos in new york state turns out it's suffolk county long island oh montauk point funny thing about that you know mm. uh so uh we said you know, Linda, it's about 2015 at this point. Linda and I were sitting in our favorite pub waiting for our burgers, had our pints sitting there and we're talking and, and Linda pointed out, look at all the cool stuff we found. You know, what would happen if we did the whole country? And that's how the statistics stuff came to be. And the first statistics book came out of that conversation. It took us 18 months worth of weekends to build it. And since that time, statistics has been our game and our niche. Did that answer the question? That perfectly yeah. answered that question okay, as good. far as the connection. Awesome. So to give you a little bit of background between Michelle and I and what happened with us that kind of brought us into this whole thing on March 9th of 2018, 2.30 a.m., we're driving home from a bingo hall. We were playing a late night bingo session with a bunch of cranky old ladies and having a good old time. And uh, it almost gets to be a full contact bingo at some point. You know, I call, I call balls once a month at our apartment complex. So I get it. I get it. Believe me. Oh, yeah. Especially when you're doing the the late, the very last one. And it's, you know, a jackpot of a thousand. Not everyone is fully caffeinated at that point. Yeah. They're ready oh, to go. Oh, my God. They, they got knives in their teeth like commandos. Oh, yeah. You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They break, they break out the the face paint you know and everything yeah, yep and put the camo paint on they're ready to fight and meet you in the parking lot with their <laughs> walker in hand oh lord but um <laughs> well i know i know I'm, I'm i'm going off the rails here but anyways we were witnessed at 2 30 in the morning driving home a about a 300 foot per side black triangle hovering over the intersection of the road we were on and the freeway we were going to get on to go home and oh it was a it was a terrifying experience, and um, takes your breath first, away, doesn't it? Yeah, at first I've seen one. Believe me, yeah, it took my breath away too. Okay, yeah, because at first we thought when we saw the three bright lights, it was landing lights because we live close to Detroit Metro Airport. Okay, and I'm like, that plane's going down right here in Canton. I mean, th th it's going to crash right here on the road. We're going to have another like middle belt crash landing type of situation. Was the feeling that it was like about a thousand feet off the ground? No, this was close because tops. it was like right above like some um like a hotel and a, yeah, a yeah, store yeah, yeah. that was there. Yeah. So as we got closer, I was like, wait a minute, 
Those are not landing lights and it's not really moving. And we're getting closer. And Michelle says. When did our military get something, <laughs> get like, something that. like that? And it was not military no, at all. No. And as we got closer, she put the window down because we're getting ready to merge on the freeway. And she goes to put the window down because we're going slow. And as low as that thing was, you couldn't, there was no sound. And so as we're going on the, the on-ramp, I get to become the closest one to get a really good look at this thing. And I look up and I'm like, I'm gunning it. We're getting out of here because something in my head said, you don't belong here. Get away. Go, yep. go. Yep. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit, where's that coming from? And I look up and it, the, the body of the craft had to be about 30 or 40 feet thick and about 300 feet on a side. But the body was, uh, it looked like a heat mirage. Like it was being, like trying to be blended almost. Mm -hmm. And the lights that were in those angles in the corners did not shine light down onto the ground. And they were so bright. They should have been like spotlights on the ground. And there was nothing, though we could see the light. So somehow some kind of photons were hitting our eyes mm -hmm. to say bright light. But there was nothing radiating from them, which was really weird. And that creeped me out. So we got on the expressway. We're flying down. She's watching it and it rotates and then moves parallel to us along the freeway. We lost sight of it. And then poof, we get the sight back. It's gone. It's just gone. We didn't see where it went. Nothing. It just disappeared. And it was right off our right hand side. And Michelle was watching it. Because, of course, my Let phone me... was in my purse on the floor of the Jeep. It always is. Getting to my or phone. off or, you know, an airplane mode or something. Well, yeah. I was in a fight or flight mode, and there was no way to fight this. <laughs> and I had the wanted. window down seeing if I could listen to anything, and yeah. I didn't want to see a glare of it through the glass. So I just put it down. It didn't matter, yeah. you know, that it was super cold out or mm -mm. or whatever. No. So anyways, that's kind of what got our interest in all of this. And so, you know, my question is, and I've got the zip code for you because I know you do things by zip code. Um, Give me a moment. Let me, let me pull, let me pull that up. Okay. Uh, do you know what County first? It's Wayne County. Wayne County. Wayne. And it's, yep. It's four, eight, one, eight, seven or four, slow, eight, slow, one. Slow, slow, slow. Okay. Four, eight, one, eight, seven or four, eight, one, eight, eight. It has two zip codes to it. It's pretty give large. Me a, give me a minute. Pull that up. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll compliment your triangle. Um, remember, I was going to school. Right. Okay, after I got retired, 2011. I was working for another, a different paper, but in the technical department as an electronic technician. Our department not only was there to fix anything electronic and might go down, keep production from messing up, but also we were for something to do. They had us make the plates every night. When I first started working there, I made maybe 150 plates a night. It's like a big laser printer with these things like cookie sheets, right? You know, and it goes through a bath and all that. Um, but um, before I left, before I, I, was, I left the company, uh, we were making a thousand plates a night because we picked up the printing from several other newspapers okay, to save money. Okay, so what happened was uh, I was getting home. We, all we had to do is get the morning run. 
So 700 ton Swiss press cranks up around around one o'clock and 1230, one o'clock in the morning and two hours, 90 minutes to two hours later, depending upon what day of the week it is and how big the run is, um, um, we could all go home. And on the end of the ship was 330, but it was uh, we could go home as soon as the run was done. So what ended up happening, I used to come home and this about three o'clock, three fifteen in the morning, put the car in the garage, pull the garage door down, and I would come out, and the garage would be to my right, and I would look north, and if it was a clear sky, uh, I could see the Big Dipper, I could see the North Star, and I used to sit, stand there kind of a little, I lived in a monastery at one point, so I, I used to sit there and kind of do like a little standing meditation, kind of just shake the night off, that type of thing, and the stars were all kind of mystical for you, you know, and all of a sudden, I started hearing this pulsing home like this okay and then i glanced up because it was getting loud above me and i looked up and the stars were blotting out in a triangular pattern and this thing got over me it had to be over a football field long two stories deep easily okay and it's going this puzzling a pulsing sound and i had a phone in my pocket <laughs> Uh, I'm just sitting there with my jaw open. Exactly. It's watching the last thing, thing on your mind. And he seemed to be, he, they seem to be flying at about 50 miles an hour. They're just casually going all over, right? Maybe, maybe 500 to a thousand feet tops. Okay. And they were kind of going off to the Northwest. Right. And I got inside and I sat down and drew it all, specked it all, gave off what directions, you know, I mean, I'm, I was a trained observer. I, I wrote all this stuff down in my journal. And then I thought to myself, I can't report this. So they'll think I'm nuts like everybody else. Thinks, That's right. Know? And um, uh, but. A year later, almost a month, a year later, I am writing that column. OK, that put me over the top that triangle put me over the top now i never said anything about that triangle until i was already writing my column and i was out in the national ufo reporting center one day looking for stuff and i just said oh let me take a look at that date and i went and found that date son of a gun there was a nurse coming off duty at a little after three from Krauss Hospital on the other, um, uh, Syracuse is sort of like Rome. It's on several hills, okay? And over across town, on the east side of town, this nurse was coming off duty from one of the hospitals. And she saw it. And she reported the same exact dynamics that I saw, saw it going off to the Northwest. So when I wrote the article, I, I took her account and I complimented it, you know, so it's kind of weird. Okay, I got to look up your Michigan. Bear with me a moment here. Am I? There it is. Okay. This Do you is, remember the date of your sighting? It was middle of June. Okay. Okay. It was the middle of June, 2012. Uh, okay. I think around June 11th, June 10th, something like that. Because we found we found a, a some type of a correlation here in Michigan with March and UFO sightings. And particularly triangular UFOs that have come very close to the ground. So that's kind of what kickstarted our whole podcasting project was starting a Facebook group. And then like a year later, we had over 3000 members. I was like, let's just start a podcast. And see. Uh, we were trying to look for people in Canton that yeah. night that saw what and we saw. Everybody started joining. So now we're at like 6,000. 
Um, so my my basic question was, what kind of trends uh, did your statistics reveal about Michigan and if you had anything about that area? While you're looking that up, it's you know interesting that we went on a quest to try to find folks around the area um, that had seen what we did at, you know, so early in the morning that night. And I had a conversation. I had uh, just recently, um, I was driving back from Kentucky and I was talking to my oldest brother and just to happen to talk to him about the podcast and some of the things that we were talking about. And he had asked me, you know, well, what started all this? And I started telling him about what we saw and exactly where we saw it. Well, he had lived around that area. He goes, oh yeah. He goes, he goes, I've seen stuff like that in that area too. Of course, he didn't get into specifics, but it was like, oh, well, you know, at least I'm being validated by a family member yeah. for having seen something very similar in that area. And I did, I did report our sighting to the National UFO Reporting Center. So it's up there. Okay. And... I, here, let me give you the data here. I got it. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. Um, Wayne County over 20 years, had a total of 668 sightings, okay? Um, the particular zip code you're talking about, uh, the closest zip code that, hit, that was a hotspot place uh, was uh, 48201, which is very close. And, oh, Wayne County did have a hotspot, 2000, had two had one hot spot in 2010, June 13th of 2010. And they had a hot spot there in uh, 9-11-2011. And they had a, a third hot spot. And these are, there's only about 708, uh, 730 hot spots in the country. And they were one day hot spots. Okay. Okay. Uh, everybody thinks you can set your clock by the hot spot. It's not like that. Right. Uh, and and then there was one hot spot on July fourth, two thousand fourteen. Okay, but I can't I can't break it down to shape. I'm trying to I'm trying okay. to find it here on this chart. But it was yeah, because four eight two zero one is Detroit. Four eight one eight five one eight seven. Okay, one eight seven. Okay, yeah. and four eight one eight five would be Westland. Okay. Uh, they Which is had, right next to Canton. They've had six triangle sightings, okay, oh. Westland. And then the Canton area, which is about what you guys are talking about, right? They had... Well, Canton butts right up next to Westland. What year was this? 2018. Okay. 2007, uh, 187 had a, uh, had a UFO, had a triangle uh, seven, a sighting, just, just that one year. They had two of them. Right. There is, yeah, I don't have it for there. I only have it for 187, but 187 for Canton, they had, uh, they had two. And if you go back to Westland, they had, uh, they had a total of six of the straight up triangle. That's pretty wild. That is wild. And, and remember, only one in 250, by our standards, one in 257 people reports what they see. Right. Okay. The There's been a story around in the UFO community for years. 10% of the population sees one, and then 10% of them uh, reports it. Okay. And those numbers don't add up to what we actually have for reports. Okay. And then there was a, there was a, um, 
uh, a metric given in a poll in 2017 by Fox Pictures and then again in 2019 by Gallup poll said 16.74% of Americans, adult Americans say they've seen a UFO. We crank that back against 2010 census and it's like 43 million. I can give you a better number here. It's like 43,189,200 adult Americans uh, say they've seen a UFO, but that didn't jive with 169,632 reported ones between two databases. So we had to reconcile that. When the Fox Pictures one came out, I didn't believe the number. And then two years later, Gallup, Gallup came out with one in September of 2019. I said, okay, it's virtually the same number, 16% and change. So I started running the numbers any which way. And I came up with this one in 200. It, it was, you couldn't do it against the whole big number. I took all 50 states, looked went into census looked up their county adult populations okay then cranked them back against the sightings in their state and it built a bell curve okay on one end it was one in 150 people reported what they saw go over the bell curve come to the other far end it was one in 475 reported what they saw and the top of the bell curve was like one in 250, 270, uh, 250, 260, something like that. And we've settled on a number of uh, one in 257 reports what they see. Now, you did mention just a minute ago about hot spots. Can you <laughs> clarify and quantify what you mean by by hot spots in the area? Okay, there. Okay, there's there's the folk myth that says there are some place in the United States there's a uh, and you get this a lot with anecdotals, with people saying, oh, oh, yeah, keep over there at Jasper Valley. Yeah, they've had UFOs there for years, Cheryl, you know, mm -hmm. um, but that's word of mouth and it gets exaggerated. OK. Um, what we did was we went through and it was difficult to do. Uh, we actually in 2020, we were starting to do the work for our pink book, the uh, UFO sightings desk reference. Okay. It's uh, okay. It's this one and it's pink because we were told we might, and we didn't know about COVID. We were told that if they got a, they got congressional hearings, they might possibly call us to testify would be we willing and Linda and I were, knew we'd be out with the book by that time. So uh, we wanted everybody to know two women built the book. So we made it bright pink. You can flag an aircraft with this thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the deal was uh, we, add, we wanted to add, people wanted us to go down to the village and Hamlet level from in our database. And our first book had only state and county. And it, if we went to the village level, as they say, city village type of thing the book would have been three oxford dictionaries deep it would have been about, oh, wow. about uh, 6500 pages okay can't publish a book like that okay no so what we decided to do was do 50 individual state books which is what we just published okay one for every state where we can drill down we also wanted another level of resolution besides cities because cities and people say why don't you put a dot every place somebody saw them but if the the map would fill up with ink there's so many people think there's so think there are very few ufo settings they have no idea the scale of it okay and especially in some areas so we decided to add we took an 850 out hey we are 2020 all dressed up no place to go 
Okay. So um, I sat down and I actually, it was like going back to work at Lockheed. I was putting in a 30, I was putting a seven hour day in five days a week. And for 850 hours until the first week of January, started in August, went to January, I spent going through every line of the database. We brought it down into a spreadsheet and we started, we mixed in a golden email list and started adding zip codes to the cities in those states and, and added correcting or adding county data as we went. We decided to add zip code information because we'd be able to map by zip codes, which we do rather nicely now. Okay. And uh, that was the key to this thing. And okay. And what am I, the question I'm trying to answer um, hotspots. Okay. People are always asking, saying, well, where's a hotspot, Cheryl? And we want to go have a camping party and we want to go watch UFOs, right? Now, if you believe the, the headlines the last couple of years, they would say, the headlines were saying, Maine and Vermont are ground zero for UFOs, okay? And you'd be waiting a long time because some of these states only have a sighting every month or every other month, okay? And the, the place called 24-7 uh, Wall Street was putting out the stuff by per capita. So it makes a little place like uh, Maine or Vermont look like ground zero. It's not. California's ground zero, for God's sakes, okay? But the thing was, it, when you look at this, people come to me and say, sure, where's the hotspots? I say, is it doing by state? Are you talking county? The number one and number two counties are Los Angeles County and Maricopa County, Arizona. Okay. Now, people here in Los Angeles County, and they think bright light city, but the county is a huge place. Downtown LA only ranks number 25 in the country, but the county is number one. They've got more sightings than 39 individual states. Wow. Maricopa County has more sightings. It's Maricopa, Arizona, Phoenix, essentially, has more sightings than 36 individual states, just as a county. Okay, so do you want to do it by counties? There's a hot spot. Okay, but I had a, we, we must have had 10 produ TV producers come to us and say, we want to go camp out someplace and take pictures of them. It's just, like you can set your clock by them, right? Well, even in, okay, we took it down another level. Zip codes. The hottest zip code, get your pencils, kids. The hottest <laughs> zip code in the country is 85001. 85001. Downtown Phoenix, they had 1,740 sightings in the 20 years. People say, wow, that's a lot. I said, yeah, but even then, if you're going to be charging your producer's credit card, it's <laughs> only four or five sightings a month. Right. Okay. So it's still not that regular place. But what we discovered is we, I, I had a sense of the data. Okay, working with it. And I had a sense that there was maybe 150 places that had like a one day event. I'll give you an example. Um, 2008 was an unusual spike year from the southern states, Texas, um, Missouri, Arkansas, uh, not Arkansas, um, um, Indiana. Okay, okay, Indiana, April 16, 2008. Indiana is a state that has two sightings a week. Okay. Nationally, we have about 23 a day. That particular day, there was 60 spiked up on, a, if you look at a year's worth oh. of spikes day by day. So I pulled that one out 
did a did a, a report of what was going on, and it was like twenty extra states chimed in that day, and it was all onesie twosies, okay, except Indiana. Indiana had twenty five that day. Indiana was literally about half the sightings for this spike of 60 for the day. Okay. And it was concentrated and, and the event has since been called the Kokomo lights. Okay. And it was concentrated down to two or three counties in a regional area. And since that time, I've been able to take that same report data and drill it down to a Swiss cheese little pattern of uh, zip codes. Okay. But okay. So you got that. It's, so what there is, is these one day events Nothing ever. I tried to pitch this to producers. What if I told you I had some quantity of places you've never heard of that had a one day event that should have captured national headlines? Okay. And they always ignore me. It's like trying to pitch to goldfish. And it's the God, they sit there and glaze over, you know. <laughs> um, that's why Linda and I have not been on a national UFO television program of any sort because they glaze over. Again, we're, we're doing numbers. We, we've got all the charm of a couple of math teachers. Okay. <laughs> hey, I that's remember right. what my math teachers look like. You know? <laughs> uh, mine are rolling over in their grave like a rotisserie because I, I flunked math all through high school. And, uh, the and you're basically thing, a statistician. I, I was gonna... <laughs> yes. And the goofy thing. That's about awesome. That, when our first book came out on statistics, I got calls from 25 or 30 people I hadn't talked to in 40 years. Say, Cheryl, you, you, you flunked math all through school. You know, how did we got dead math teachers rolling over in their graves? You know, what's going on? Um, math made sense to me when I was in my mid 20s. One day, like a light went on. It's called, uh, the, the, well, it's called maturation. One day, a light went on, and suddenly I was trying to just balance my checkbook, and suddenly I'm seeing patterns in the calculator. And I sit there for two hours, mesmerized by the calculator in these mathematical, mathematical patterns I could generate. And that's how that started. Um, so for me, it was a steep learning curve. I went out to some used bookstores, got some high school algebra books, and literally retaught myself algebra. Okay. But it turns out, uh, when I was going through my gender change, Hopkins ran me through this huge battery of tests. And they told me, he says, well, you don't have a lot of great math ability. And I said, I know that. Talk to my high school teachers, right? She says, yeah, you should get yourself a good calculator and super glue it to your hand because your math skills are terrible. But he did say one point, he says, did you do your calculations in your head? I mean, did you always get ding because your teacher wanted you to show to work, but you just sort of had the answer and they would never, they would never give you credit for the question? I said, yeah, that's how come I flunked most of my test. He says, you're what they call a, a visual mathematician. Einstein was one of these guys. And you, um, you do it out here someplace. Okay. And yep. that's, that's when I graduated in the lower quarter of my high school class. And of course the people were calling me an idiot and all this kind of stuff. Turns out they got running through this test. And they tell me I've got almost, almost 140 IQ. So I'm going, Oh, is this why I, I was always bored in class? You know? Mm-hmm. So the bottom line, the, the, the maturation came along with the um, uh, mid twenties. People ask me, when did you really start doing a lot of writing? In my 30s. One day, one day, prose began pouring out of me. Now, I had been on female hormones for three years, and I blamed the girl juice myself. 
So um, that's where we are. Um, but the key thing with the mathematics was um, as we started learning, of course, the thing is the, the when we bring the database down, we bring it down into Excel and we do any of the fancy calculations in that. And that does all the heavy lifting. So I can sit back and be theoretical about how I want to look at the data. So that's that's the key thing. I don't have to sit here, even though you see me working with crib cards and sitting here with a hand calculator. Sure. I, I do the simple stuff that way. What else would you like to know about the data? I mean, well, Michigan I was, is an interesting state. Well, that's what I was just going to ask you. How does Michigan's data compare to like Arizona and California? Oh, oh, okay. Cal okay. Let's say it this way. Top, let me get a sheet of paper here. I know we Oops. always hear that we're in the top 10. Uh, number nine. Nine, nine. nine baby. You okay. Betcha. Okay. Um, okay. First nine. Thing. It's a magical number. Oh, yes, it is. Um, California is number one. Florida is number two. Texas is number three. Now, people came after us when we did the first white book. In fact, those states have been stable there since two in those top three slots since 2006. Okay. Before that, the top 10 states played musical chairs. After those three centered, kind of centered in, remember, I'm using two databases, though. So if you see a newspaper article out here, says some, somebody quoted the National UFO Reporting Center in, and uh, Washington State is ground zero, it move, uh, mutual UFO, I'm sorry, New Fork skews to the west, MUFON skews a little bit to the east, and you put them both together, and it's really California, Florida, Texas, followed by Washington, New York, Pennsylvania. Arizona has been in the number seven slot for years. Um, Ohio and Michigan. Now, I live in Ohio now. Okay. Linda moved, moved us here back uh, a year ago. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, Michigan ranks number, uh, number nine in the country. Okay. I'll give you some quick highlights. Uh, Michigan had 5,542 over the 20 years, uh, an average of about 277 a year, about 23 a month about five a week and about one a day. Um, the, let me see if the camera will resolve this. That's what the ch yearly chart looks like. The smaller end is 2001 going up and it peaks and it starts ramping down. Remember we, I don't know if you heard, but back after 2013, sightings were falling off by 30% a year. That's part of a, a natural cycle. These UFOs about every six to seven years. In fact, if you look at like a 40 year pattern, it, it goes uh, across the screen, like a little snake going across the lawn. Right. You know, um, so we're coming off, we're coming off from one of those peaks right here. Okay. As they were what year is that peak? Uh, that peak right there. 2012. That, should be, that was 2012. Okay. okay. But that's, that's Michigan. Right. That's Michigan's numbers. Nationally, it was peaking around that time. And these numbers were tanking off just like the nationals, just slightly different. Each state's slightly different. And then 2007, it bottomed out. And I kept telling people, people writing me at the newspaper before we went out of business. And said, oh, Space Force chased them away, Cheryl. Oh, my God, they're sick of seeing us. Oh, we're going to have this apocalypse. And that's why they went away. And oh, I heard everything. Okay. <laughs> and I kept telling everybody in my column. This is part of a natural cycle. They're falling off. It'll be back uh, 2018, 2019. They'll be back, you know? And in fact, I took 2019 off to work on other projects because I just wasn't following the numbers. Um, 
late February, early March, early March, 2020. Mm-hmm. I get a call from George Knapp. He says, Cheryl, my phone's ringing off the hook. Is yours? I said, why? He says, the numbers are, we're getting all kinds of phone calls. The numbers are back. I said, okay, give me an hour. So at this point, I've already had built a mathematical model. Okay. National UFO Reporting Center is about 60%. New Forks about 40%. Both databases only wrap, overlap each other, maybe by a half a percent. Okay. So um, I built a mathematical model. So I went out and pulled January and February's National UFO Reporting Center's numbers. And I dropped them into the model. And by the end of 2000, I, I can't call George back and said, hey, George, this is going to, if this keeps up, this is going to be the best year since 2012 or 2014. And it was, and it was, it was as good as 2012, actually, 2020 was. Now, 2020 had a little extra help because we have a problem with drivers. Can I explain what the drivers are? Go for it. Okay. All right. A lot of people in the UFO community knee-jerk on the idea of population. Oh, yeah, Cheryl, they're all there in a big city. You know, if you plot the dots around the city. I was city, just going to ask you that's about where that. where they all are. If it was okay. driven by population density. Everybody says that. More eyes on the sky, the whole thing. And that is true to a certain extent. Okay, to a certain extent. But the other driver is temperate weather. If you're in a northern state uh, like Michigan or Ohio, look at look at my hands now. There's a baseline of sightings yearly, and then there's this um, peak in June, July, August time frame. We thought it was like that every place in the summer. Go down to states like Virginia and Maryland, go straight across the country. That peak comes down. Linda discovered this. And the rest of those levels come up. The quiescent levels come up. Get to deep south states. You've got a baseline that dips in the summertime. And everybody, it's flat, it's statistically flat the rest of the year. And what that is, it's too hot down deep south, southern Florida, southern Texas, southern parts of Georgia. It's too bloody hot to be outside. I lived in the south for a few years. I was, you're a prisoner of air conditioning from April to October type of thing. So, um, so temperate weather is a driver. And then we sort of, again, we, we threw all the assumptions out the window. People told me why the UFOs were there, okay? We threw all those assumptions out and decided to do the um, CSI thing and follow the evidence, okay? Population, temperate weather, leisure time, hours of darkness, and observer access to broadband. Those are the drivers. Now, we have five influencers, but let me explain the temperate weather or the leisure time and darkness. We did a plot by hours. One o'clock in the morning to 12 midnight, going across the chart. And it goes like this. 75 to 68 to 75% of the sightings happen between 7 o'clock at night and 1130. Okay. The other 16 hours of the day, 1 o'clock in the morning to about 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, represented 25% of the sightings. They all happen in the evening hours. Now, you, I'll give you an example here in Ohio. Here we're in Cuyahoga County, Ohio, which is essentially the county that has Cleveland. And it's like this other major cities. Move away from the zip code downtown and do the chart with the hours across the top. You get your standard little line with a big peak where all the sightings are happening in the evening. 
Okay. The sightings occur. They don't appear to be there during the daytime, but they happen after five or six o'clock at night till about 1130. And it's in the suburbs, the bedroom communities, the unincorporated communities, those cul-de-sacs and things further out and the rural communities in the county. Okay. That's where they are. Okay. And, and I, I did one here in the chart. We gave a presentation at the local library last night, um, packed house and uh, downtown Cleveland for, for the 20 years had 24 sightings. The rest of the county had 29 and it all occurred in the leisure time hours of the evening bedtime. Okay. The, the last drink on the back, the last cigarette on the back deck, uh, taking the dog for a walk, walk, having a cigarette, walking the dog. In fact, we didn't have dog walkers and smokers. They're most reliable <laughs> reporters. No, I you talk to MUFON investigators. They search when they're looking at a month's worth of sightings, they'll do a text search for smoke and dog. Okay. The idea is that they're out there all the time. They know the lay of the land. They know what's normal for the lay of their land. Okay? Right. And they report things. And dogs are very good. If you're having a real significant sighting, the dog's usually stiff as a board going. Yeah, something's <laughs> up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where that happened. Now, so that covered leisure time and hours of darkness. When we were talking this leisure time thing with George Knapp a couple of days later on coast to coast, just, just before we went into the lockdown. And people said, well, wait a minute, they're getting, we got this plague thing going on. We're getting ready to go into a national lockdown for the entire country. That Cheryl, these are people calling into coast to coast is that's going to be a natural laboratory for you. You know, so we came out March and April. As soon as the data was up at the in in the May, we were able to do a plot. And if you're looking at the rest of the, the looking at the rest of the numbers, March and April through the roof nationally, yep. they were through the roof, and that kind of proved out the theory. And every time we had kind of a wave thing with the with the with the with the virus, you know, hey, everybody's okay. Oh, now we got another surge, you know, and we were able to track it against the surges, you know people being home and things like this. So that was the other uh, driver. Now, one night I was at a radio stage. I was doing a talk radio program. Okay. Not a podcast, but talk radio program. We were on a commercial break and I had our white book laying in my lap. Okay. And we had a, a census maps in there. We used government census maps and we plot, put little arrows and things pointing at the different States with their numbers. Right. And I'm sitting there looking at the Midwest and I looked at the Great Lakes and the states touching the Great Lakes had sightings in the many thousands, three, four, five thousand. 5,000. Okay. For the 20 yep. years, moved two states away and it was in the low hundreds. Oh, uh, that was, just answered one of the questions too, because we were going to ask about um, the trends as far as common locations and water is definitely one of the ones that we have found too. in the stories that we've let's heard. Go that we've let's read. go there. Let's go there. Let's go yeah. there. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. Now we have influencers, drivers. Everybody has. Okay. Now the observer access to broadband. There are 30, uh, 3,100. Uh, let me get the real number for you here real quick. Here, uh, here we go. Got to have my crib notes. Can't hold them all in my head. Uh, okay. 3,135 counties in the United States. Okay. Of those counties. Only 105 did not report UFOs. 3,030 counties, let me make sure I got that right. 3,030 counties between 2001 and 2020 reported UFOs. Holy crap. 
That's what the map looks like. Yeah. Well, can't you just put little dots where everybody is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's go one with the dots. Just for everybody listening. It looked like the whole United States was redacted. Yeah, it did. Okay. (laughs) And I've had people say to me, oh, I had some professors tell me one day they were snarking at me in the coffee shop. Oh, you're doing a book on UFOs. (laughs) You know? And he said, you ought to put a little UFO uh, icon over every place where there was a UFO. I said, you think there were that few? Exactly. That The page would be covered with ink. Yeah. Okay. You can't do that. Even with dots, you know, especially if you go into the big cities. All right. Okay. There are 41,692 zip codes in the United States. We had reports from 18,605. And that's what that map looks like. Wow. Okay. And we can pull out individual states. In our book about Michigan, we give a county map with the numbers in it. And then we do a zip code map of almost every state's zip code map map except Nevada. uh, Looks like Swiss cheese. Okay. Uh, the dark spots are the zip codes that reported them and all these other white spots around them uh, are patterns are the places that didn't. Okay. That taught us a lot. We also found out that in fact, the presentation last night, I could hear people gasping in the audience because Absolutely. we showed, we showed them every single state by zip code towards the end of the presentation, just click through them one by one calling, just stayed on it long enough to call out the name of the state and let them go. Ah, you know, and then the last thing we did was we printed the entire United States and the shapes, what zip codes, every shape was seen in. Yes. Okay. And not every state has had every shape. Okay. That's something nobody knew a few years ago, you know? So this is the kind of stuff we're producing with the data. Linda and I went on this idea of going someplace where nobody else had gone before. She came from a library background of learning how to manage information. I came from a deep analysis thing. I I approached it like I was doing a a defense analysis study of of uh, somebody else's capabilities. That's how I approach the model. Okay. Now yeah. you're asking about influencers. This is what gets wonky. When our first book came out, people said Florida's number two. Texas has twice the population of Florida. That was that knee jerk to population. Right. And I looked at them and said, and Florida has 1,200 miles of coastline. Texas has 400. Okay. Then a friend of mine by the name of Tom Conwell, he's up in Troy, New York. We, I can always, if you want to have him on the show, you should. Good paranormal guy and good with UFOs. Okay. Sharp guy, retired Honeywell guy. Okay. Um, he took a big map of the United States and put it on the wall. Took top hat pins and began pressing them into the wall. Destroyed the wall. He had to have the sheetrock replaced, right? And um, he took our data to do do that. And he came back and told me, they haunt the UFOs, the ET seems to haunt our toxic locations. Before anybody jumps, the nuclear power plants. No, I've got the street address and zip code for every nuclear power plant in the United States. And we're talking power plants. And uh, no, they're not there. It's negligible. In fact, it's, it's, it's shocking how many are not there. Okay. Um, so, but they are interested in our 
dead coal fields, our dead oil fields, our dead gas fields, our, our brown fields, our heavily polluted brown field areas. They're extremely interested in our, um, uh, not every polluted lake and river, but the ones that are like the super fun polluted lakes and polluted rivers. They haunt those. And every time you talk to somebody who's been abducted, you talk to the Dr. Reagan Mitchell people who interviewed what, 4,500 of them or something like that, 4,400, something like that. They come back and tell you, boy, those folks are terrific. They're deeply spiritual. And they told us to take care of our planet. ET's really concerned about the fact that we are crapping in our own nest, so to speak. Okay. So toxic areas they're interested in. Now, the other thing is proximity to geological faults. I'll give you a good example. This past summer, uh, South Carolina ranks number 26 in the rankings for states. But this past summer, remember it was about every other week there was an earthquake down there? Yeah. Yep. Okay, guess what? I was sitting there looking at one of my charts and every time an earthquake thing and they reported what county it was in, I'd put a pin in it and it was the heavy counties for it was sightings. The spike, right? It was where the sightings were, the heavy yeah. numbers, not always necessarily run around a major city. Okay. Um, there's a lot of sightings down through the middle um, Midwest, you know, about the Madrid fault. Okay, right. There's mm -hmm. that. Okay, we see it out near the volcanoes, uh, St. Helens, uh, St. Andreas Fall, uh, Washington, yeah, Mount State, Shasta, Attica. too. Correct, yeah, 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 all those places. Yes, there's a lot of interest in that. Okay, now when people again, when talking toxic, people say, Well, are, uh, have you tracked them around military sites? Well, at the end of the Cold War, many of the bases in the middle part of the country either got completely decommissioned, sold off to, the land got sold off to the local development company or the, the state or something like that to develop, okay? Or the base was downgraded to a Air National Guard or a, a reserve base, okay? So they, in talking with Lou Alessandro three different times I interviewed him, ET seems to be more interested in our advanced technology, AKA nuclear weapons. They're not interested in our nuclear power plants. They're interested in our nuclear weapons. We got enough nuclear weapons to nuke the, the planet morbid. And they're concerned about that. Okay. So proximity to geological faults, toxic uh, waste dump areas. Um, this was one we got from Project Blue Book. High media reports. Now, say we have a sighting on a Monday or Tuesday. And it's reported by Wednesday. Okay. Blue Book used to say, yeah, there's a report on Wednesday. And with follow-on days, there was also additional reports. People They thought it was copycat people mimicking the people who had really had a sighting. We tracked National UFO Reporting Center data on some of these one-day hotspots that nobody reports. Only, only local news covered it. It didn't bubble up to the wires, like, like Indiana, April right. 16th. Okay. And in the days following it, yes, there was a lot of reports from that location, but people read about it in the paper and said, oh, there's this place called the National UFO Reporting Center. Maybe I should report the one I saw two weeks ago, two months ago, two years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. That's right. It's, it's, it's retro reporting. Yep. Okay. And then the last thing is what we call, and this is, this is conjecture but it appears to be correct. It's a cultural thing. We call the generational effect. 
Grandpa told us about the Battle of L.A. in February 1942. He was there. If we look up, maybe we'll see something. Mom and Dad told us about the Phoenix Lights in 97. Maybe if we look up, we'll see something. It's this precedent. If you're in an area that's had lots of sightings over the years and you hear enough folklore about it, people have a tendency to be a little bit more eagle-eyed about it than places that nothing ever goes on. Hey, everyone. We hope you're enjoying the podcast. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors and some friends of the podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Ray Shemansky, author of the Alien Shades of Grace trilogy, and you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hi, I'm Greg Little, co-author of Origins of the God with England's Andrew Collins. It's a great book. It's about UFOs and the paranormal, and it gives an explanation. It's not what you think. And you are listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. of Follow the Reaper podcast, where every episode we examine first and secondhand true paranormal encounters. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Jared Murphy of NotAliens.com, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle from Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Hey there, it's Richard Serrett, occasional weekend guest host of Coast to Coast AM, and host of The Conspiracy Show. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle's Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters. 
podcast. What's up, everyone? This is Burton. And Aaron from Lost in the Dark Podcast. And raise your horns because you're listening to Wayne and Michelle from the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. What is up, you guys? It's your girl, Gemma Jade from Gemma Jade YouTube, Moon Bear Oracle, Paranormal Chop Shop. You're here listening to Wayne and Michelle with the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Hi, this is Chris Lato of the Chris Lato YouTube channel, retired F-16 pilot turned UAP investigator, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. This is Terry Lane Keel, Director of MUFON Memberships, Investigator, Demonologist, and Author of Alien Healing, The True Story of a Benevolent Extraterrestrial. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Hello everyone, this is Michael Schreck, military aerospace historian and private pilot, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle at the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast, and we're glad to have you with us today. Hi, this is Seth Talk from MUFON and the author of You Have the Right to Talk to Aliens and the host of Alien Spirit TV with Sev on YouTube. You're listening to Wayne and Michelle at the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. So those are the drivers and the influencers, and we're still looking at other things, but this, these are the primary ones we've, we've discovered by following the evidence. Okay. Now, um, that brings me to a question I had here. Like, what is the criteria you're using to differentiate between data that is reliable UFO sighting versus one that isn't? There has to be some kind of way you're vetting your your data. Let me get my cheat sheets. <laughs> uh, my If I was working straight in the data, I'd probably be able to do this off the top of my head. Right now, I'm working on my hotspots book. Okay. Okay. Um, let's say it this way. Um, I've got to vet 50 states each for 20 years. Okay. That's a long time. <laughs> 146,060 days altogether for the entire country. 7,303 days per state for 20 years. Okay. That's what it works out to. Uh, and um, I, I did 20,000 lines today. I'm, I'm bug-eyed. I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm fried. And I did like 30,000 yesterday. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm about 59,000 in. Right now, I've got 126,000 lines to go through. 126,578 lines to go through. 
<laughs> oh, that's easy. But there's two kinds that there's, uh, and I'll go to the numbers here for the vetting. There's okay. two kinds of hot spots. There's the ones we can see at the county level, a hot spike in one county for one day, over four right? is statistically significant, not four and above, over four. Okay. And that's what we count. Then we got a thing that I call a vertical line hotspot. You're looking at the list of counties, you're looking at 20 years across the page, and you'll see something under one particular year and for one particular county, and you'll see this little string of numbers going down to all the counties. That's a hot spot in a state for one day, not in a county for one day. So we're going to, and I'm, I'm literally working, I talked Linda and letting me write this book before we do our shapes. We're going to do 20 individual shapes books do like we did for Michigan, where we did down for the whole state. We're going to take a shape, take a triangle and then list all the states, counties and zip codes they were seen in the last 20 years, just that one shape. And each book will be dedicated to one shape, except for one book will be dedicated to about 25 or 20, uh, not 25, five or six exotic shapes, which there are very small numbers for. Okay. All right. How do you vet? When we were working on the pink book, I would go down to print off sample chapter C to see how it looked for format wise. And I'd go over to Staples and the Staples manager knew what I was working on. He was into this stuff. And he said, Cheryl, you did take out of the kooks, nuts and crackpots, right? <laughs> now I looked at him. I said, Bob, how am I supposed to do that? I got sightings over 20 years. I can't go vet 167,632 accounts. But statistically, I can just say some portion of it we're going to throw out the window. Okay. Now, Dr. Valet says 80% is noise. Both on investigators will say 70% is noise. The Cheryl and Linda used different criteria. We came up with 68% was noise. So we, let's just round it off and say 70% is noise. So if we do 70%. Throw so 70% away, we keep 30% of the 167,632. That leaves us with 50,289 for 20 years, approximately 2,514 per year, 210 per month, and about four a week. Now, think what that means. That's for the United States. That says 210, if these are the real thing, and we have 210 off-world craft coming here for the 200 every month for the 240 months of 2001 to 2020. And that's saying something that yeah. rattles. I rattled an audience last night with that. And then we took it a step further and, and I looked at the audience and I said, now some of you, I know sleep with a nightlight. You want those UFOs and those ETs to be much more rare you, they got to be very rare to come here. They can't get here from there is what I hear from news directors and news editors. Okay. We're being stiff. Chris Mellon wrote a letter here back in late December this year, six, seven page letter. And one of the things he's got amazing things going on. The Congress passed this defense authorization bill. It's giving money. It put, they put 12 pages of stuff in there for this UFO stuff. Okay, for funding and for investigation and all this stuff uh, to get give relief to people who've been sworn as security oaths to come forward, all this kind of stuff. Right. And the American press is not talking about it. Yeah, dead silent. Yeah, 
I've reached out to 66 newspapers in the past week of uh, over, uh, over 50,000. I reached out to 66 that were friendly to UFOs and only six of them have reached out to me. And I don't know if you heard Michigan public radio interviewed me the other day. No, didn't hear that. Yeah, they did. April, April interviewed me. Okay. So let's throw 99% of the numbers away because the real ones are about 1%. Okay. Remember this number. Okay. So it's okay. 20 years worth would be 1,676. 84 per year and seven per month in the United States. That's seven starships visiting the United States every month for 240 months of 20 years. And my argument to some of my press colleagues is, is it only takes one guys one. Yeah. Okay. And I said, this is the number. Okay. Now I backed it off a little bit. People were coming to me and saying, Cheryl, what's your take? I said, 5%. Okay. And so that takes it down to 5% gives us uh, 8,300 a year. 80, I'm sorry. 8,382 for 20 years about 419 a year, about 200 and okay, uh, 35 a month for 240 months, eight per week of the 1,040 weeks of 20 years. And uh, of that seven of those days, about 1.14 per day. Okay. But I looked at the ONDI report to this afternoon. You're talking oh, about the, the report from 2000. 21 it's dated 22 because they didn't make their deadline in 20 okay you know what i'm talking about okay the one yeah. that just everybody's waited for day to bated breath with since halloween okay oh that's oh so that's been released oh and di came out this afternoon yeah i got all Holy 20 pages crap. of it oh my god i did not even know that i'll tell you what i'll do is i'll get back on the email after the show and i'll send you the pdf okay? awesome yeah thank it's, you it's disappointing oh no is it better than the nine pages we got before? It's about as bad. Oh, no. But they did identify an additional of the over 500, almost 600 that they were investigating on a mili- at the military level. They did, a, did acknowledge, uh, they wrote a certain amount off the balloons. They wrote a certain amount off to uh, uh, normal aircraft they wrote a large portion off to things equivalent to drones that type of thing and clutter you know junk clutter okay they came back and said uh basically they said for their big number with all of the unexplainable stuff uh uaps was 510 for the 20 years okay now the 20 years for the 20 years okay yeah i know i'm not buying it sorry i I, no no neither was ryan sprague neither was anybody else that has a brain in their head believe me but uh, let's take a look at that 171 they said that are presenting unusual flight characteristics of that 510 there was 171 they said they couldn't explain Hmm. okay 171. That works out to percentage wise, that works out to 0.12. That means it's 
like a tenth of a percent. Okay. All right. So if we crank these numbers, we end up with something saying basically overall, it's coming into that percentage number of like slightly under my 1% number. It's if you believe their numbers. Right. Yeah. Okay. If you believe our numbers. Okay. Um, it, it's more like 5%. Okay. So then the question my, is, is where are they getting their numbers from? To military sensors around sensitive airspace. Okay. So not out in the paper that they're not worried about the rest of the flyover country of the United States. I was going to say there where you go. and I live. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, the, the attitude in this house, Linda will tell you, they saw an article about, oh, it's Chinese drones. He said, what are Chinese drones doing in Cleveland? You right. Know? <laughs> right. You know, that kind of thing. Okay. So this is where, this is what we're up against right now is, uh, thank God, our 50 book series, people didn't think we'd be doing it. People thought it would take us three years to do it. But my old, my death, dead methods engineering professor, is probably cheering on a cloud someplace because I modularized everything and we took all the stuff that we could duplicate, like all our research stuff in the pink book. We kept that in the book. We just figured if this is the only book some people buy in their life, we want them to see the best of our research. So we built that stuff in and then we did the customizing for each state in the back and we had it down. So the first one we got out on Halloween which was my objective. I got it out on Halloween. We had Michigan out a week late and later in the next week. Okay. We were, got after two, after the first five, we were delivering five a week to Amazon for publication. And they usually had them up within 24 hours. Okay. And the last 10, well, actually the last 20, we had 30 books up the last 20. We put 10 up one day. We put 10 up a couple of days later and we got, all of them delivered. We told everybody we'd be done by the end of January this year. And we were done by the 27th of December. Crazy stuff. Wow. I mean, amazing. You know, I'm actually very surprised. Process. I'm very surprised that maybe, maybe people in the military or, you know, in that those levels of government are not aware of the work that you and Linda did, because I am very shocked that they would not call you in for some type of a briefing or an explanation we volunteered. Or breakdown. We have volunteered yeah. summer of 2021. We had copies of the pink books and a crate of them sitting in the front room. Linda went off to work one morning. I took two copies of the pink book, put them on the couch across from my desk. I drafted a draft letter, executive summary kind of letter, one page, barely a page of information. I drafted it. It was just, we did it in green ink because it was a draft. Okay. Put them on there. One was to the chair of the Senate Intel committee. What at that time was Rubio. And the other was the chair of the house Intel committee. And it was a guy in New York. Okay. At the time we laid them there. And then what I did, it wasn't perfect, but I went ahead and generated a dump like we did for this book down to the from the state down to the county zip code and Hamlet level with all the shapes and then 20 years across the page, every one of those zip codes and every Hamlet, whatever was seen there, you could see what years they were there and how many 
Florida's was an inch and a half thick. Rubio State. New York's was not much smaller. Okay. I took them down to, to the copy shop, printed them off in, uh, printed them off in paper, had them three-hole punch, punch them for me. Between the pink book and these printouts for these guys, it was a five-pound package. <laughs> Each guy got a five-pound package. Nice. Okay. And it, we shipped it out. Three weeks later, I'm walking down the hallway of my old apartment complex and glance out in the parking lot. And there are six different constabulary cars sit parked behind my car. And uh, let us say this way, I almost pooped my knickers. <laughs> it was New York state police. It was the County Sheriff's office, the local constabulary and uh, uh, the park service. Going, Oh my God. Rubio and those guys, they caught up with me. Yeah. Now, yeah, no, actually, now you did it. Yeah, now I did it. What and it actually ended up happening, one of the old ladies in our building, our our cul-de-sac for our apartment complex was a dead end. And some guys were having a drug deal out in the back, and they, she called in the she called in the Marines. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But th that gives you a sense. But here's the deal. Um, both their offices got this. When Andre Carson started, and we told him, if you guys have congressional hearings, invite us. We will come and give you a presentation. Because our concern back in 2019, when the regular, the, reg the uh, usual suspects in D.C., our, our lobbyists, yes. told me about this. And when Linda and I were working on the pink book, we said, I don't, those kind, I told them, I said, guys, I said, you know what they're going to do? I said, the congressional hearings are going to be Pentagon spooks. And swaggering pilots. Okay. And we, you know, we in the UFO community wanted to see something like the citizen hearings that Steve Bassett sponsored, right? Now right. we didn't get that, at least not yet. Um, things are thawing out. Uh, inside track people are telling me this. So what happened was I went ahead and I told them, wrote my own senator, wrote my own congressman, and said, Would you please put a bug in somebody's ear? We're the national experts right here. Your your New York State citizens are national experts on this stuff. There's nobody better. Okay. Okay. When they started the congressional hearings, I found out Andre Carson was leading it. So within a day, a pink book and a printout for his state was sent to him with a summary on it and an executive letter. It went to his office. Again, we have heard not a thing. And basically, here's our community. And there's a lot of very sharp people who have been carrying the torch for 40, 50, 70 years doing the research. We are the experts because there was no, Dr. Condon fixed it. So there was no government money for colleges to research it or anybody else, even the government agencies to research it. Okay. So we're 50 years behind the eight ball now because of his report to Congress. Of course, the Air Force didn't tell him they were shut when he was finishing his report that they were shutting down missiles in Montana. But Correct. They, they, just a little thing they forgot to tell him. Yeah, you know? let's not. We don't want to mention that. So the bottom line is this. Um, what we're thinking about doing, not all 50 books are available. Uh, as authors, we get our copies dirt cheap. Okay. So we're going to, uh, I we made a list of the, the current assignments in the house select committee on intelligence and the senate select committee on intelligence we have a list we're building up their home addresses to their home offices and they're all going to get a copy of the book for their state 
we're planning to do that. It's going to be about 30 books altogether, but we can afford to do that. And people yeah. open, I was talking about affording it. People say to me, well, what kind of a grant did you get in the UFO community to do this research? It's a federal grant. It was called Social Security. <laughs> okay. We joke, we joked at our audience last night. This whole somebody asked us, uh, how did you fund this research? I said, on the pensions of two old ladies. Yeah, I was gonna say you worked for 50 years of your life. That's how. Yeah. Yeah. Out of your exactly own pocket. Both of us did did this, and uh, this is what we do. And if we sell a few books, people are saying people in the UFO community for years been saying, "Oh, you should put it on the internet for free." You know, I said, "Well, do you be willing to come over here and paint my front porch for free? I'll give you a copy of the book." No. That's right. I says, "Well, why are you expecting me to give my intellectual property away?" That's right. Yeah. I'll shut up now. Ask me questions. <laughs> <laughs> I get on a rant. I'm sorry. Well, you know, speaking of your books, Michelle and I, we don't have any of them yet, but if we were new purchasers of your book, obviously we would probably want to get the one for the state that we live in. Right. But would, I'd recommend, you I'd recommend the pink one or yeah, get the pink one. If you want data. Okay. okay. If you want to read my old, most of my, most of my old column, there's a book called the UFO beat. Yes. Okay. You can order that. It's stories and my my assessment on things. Um, uh, my editor has had a lot of fun with the stuff I did. Was after I had crunched the data for like a new, a new fork, um, I did a chart of UFO sightings by New York Congressional District, and they published it. Right. Oh, <laughs> and oh, we got hate mail, phone calls to the editors. Oh, it was great. And the editor <laughs> says, That was cool. Get something else like that. And I says, Yeah, as soon as I get done with MUFON, I'll combine both databases. Tell us before you do. So I got both databases together. This is before we published the white book. And we got it together, took it down to the art department, and they they did a map instead of a chart. They did a map with all the congressional districts, arrows pointing to them, and how many UFOs they had. <laughs> Hate mail, phone calls, editors <laughs> loved it. Um, this was this was one of the fun parts about the job because the editors liked the fact that hell, I I did one, I did an open letter to New York State's congressional delegation. This is around 2017 said, look, no one of you has to take the hit of being called a goofball. If the entire Congress, uh, uh, the entire delegation stands up and says we should have congressional hearings on UFOs. That's one state standing up and no one has to take the political hit being called an idiot. Okay. And uh, I wrote this up, showed it to the editors and everything. And we did a full page letter to the congressional, the congressional delegation of New York in the paper. <laughs> Again, more phone calls, hate mail. It was great. You know? <laughs> so um, we pushed, we pushed the, I, 238 articles in the seven years. I never was censored. Not by my newspaper. I did get censored by the government. Quick example. How so? Yeah. Well, on Friday, the thing would be available. You Google our newspaper and Google my column. Boom. There's the column. Usually it was up by three, four o'clock in the afternoon. Right. And um, I start getting calls from people out of the country saying, we can't find you every once in a while. I said, huh? 
Well, it turns out the stories that they couldn't find would go something like this. Uh, Susie and her dad went to the ice cream, the, the custard shop to get a couple of ice cream cones. And while they were waiting in line, they saw three bright silvery ships fly over top, followed by Air Force jets. If I ever mentioned a UFO sighting with military vehicles following it, you couldn't find it on the internet. Wow. You could, if you came right to our paper, you could find it. So we had an arrangement with Dirk that runs a UFO Digest in Canada. We had a deal with him. If they ever ran into that problem, we told him to go directly to the newspaper page, pull a copy of it, copy a copy of the HTML from that, and repost it on his site so the international audience could read it. You know, and uh, so we kind of circumvented that. But we've had problems with like Linda was on a radio show last last weekend. And somebody asked her, says, well, what's, what's the paradigm going to do? What's the change going to be after, you know, after disclosure? Why are they so afraid? I said, well, you know, 40 years ago, 70 years ago, let's take Roswell. Those poor guys were down there to investigate this thing. And only eight years before, Orson Welles is scared to snot out of half the country with more of the worlds. Mm-hmm. So this is fresh in their memories. And he said, Jesus, we report real stuff be a problem and of course higher ups felt the same way okay so there's partly that so they had the robinson panel in the 50s said you know we gotta have time to accustom our population so in the 60s we had star trek okay back in the 40s and 50s if you saw a movie in the movie theater with aliens they were some buggy a slimy bug-eyed monster nowadays and this is a paper i wrote for my college degree i wrote one of my final papers i said look said we need disclosure now for one thing people want to know the truth two um it's not the big shock that it was 70 years ago um these days greeting cards are adorned with aliens and some of our most favorable fictional characters are aliens doc uh, doc mr uh, doctor who mr spock yoda uh, you name it you know yeah so it's not that big a deal now we're accustomed to the idea okay so that's that's what the whole deal was so uh, these days linda is a devout feminist and if anybody if you want to blame who turned me into a devout feminist she did okay <laughs> okay uh, she met me 20 years after I had changed, you know, so, and she, 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 she fell in love with me, the, the being that lives behind these eyes, you know, didn't care about the rest. Okay. Um, her attitude is, is that suddenly when there's somebody else visiting us, that's got a better idea and excuse the expression, she says, the white male paradigm is going to crash and burn. And she, we, we got cut off the air. Not by the radio station. Our internet winked out. Oh, okay. Five minutes. We couldn't get a connection. Okay. Came back on. I was able to pick up the interview. And the 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 station said to us, does that happen to you often? I said, regularly. Okay. It happens to us regularly. Um, back when we were building the white book, somebody got wind of it because three different mornings we got up and found our alarm system had been turned off in our house we got so paranoid about it we were every weekend we worked on it we would burn a full copy of the database 
the way we were working, massaging it, cleaning it up onto a thumb drive, put it in a big uh, seven by seven, 11, uh, you know, seven by six envelope or something like that, put a serial number on it, date number, and then take it into work or she'd take it into one of her colleagues and they'd hide it, lock it in her desk. We had like six, seven copies of it floating around and we'd cycle the oldest one back and then reuse the thumb drive. That's how paranoid we got because all this goofy stuff, we kept having cars with dark windows parked in front of the house, that type of thing. It was goofy. Yeah. Was goofy. One of those, uh, if anything happens to us, uh, send the envelope here or open, you know, our attorneys had letters like that. And yeah. these people had letters like that. Yeah. Agreed. Same thing. And remember I had worked in high clearance areas when I was going through my gender change. Yeah. Uh, I had people following me around. They thought I was going off my rocker. And at one point the DOD, um, first my company sent me to go get, talk to a shrink and they evaluated me and said, we sent her through a whole battery of tests. Perfectly healthy woman took this test. And then the defense department came in and said, we're going to turn off your clearance. We think you can be blackmailed. Now at this point, I was halfway through transition. I was still going to work in a white shirt and tie, but I had pierced ears. My brows were a little thinner. I was wearing a little bit of mascara, you know, okay, whatever. I was, I was evolving. And um, he said, we're going to turn off your clearance. And I'm thinking to myself, my God, that's my job. Okay. So I looked at the guy and I said, the government guy, he says, um, I can fix this. How can you fix it? We don't think you can fix it. I said, I can fix it. You're saying you're afraid I'm going to be blackmailed, right? And he said, yeah. I said, can you give me a couple of weeks? He said, I'll be back in three weeks. I'm my next monthly cycle. Okay, I'll come back in three weeks and then I'll turn off your clearance. And I came back three weeks later and I threw a VHS tape on the desk. I said, I'm the blonde on Phil Donahue. I'm the redhead on Gary Collins. He said, you came out on national television. I said, yeah, I can't be blackmailed. I made <laughs> copies for all the guys in the office, gave them to them. They took them home and watched them with their wives. And uh, um, he didn't think that was so brilliant. And then <laughs> they, they sent a letter to me that said, we think that was bad judgment. And we want you to see a Department of Defense certified psychiatrist. I said, just make sure you send me to somebody who's familiar with sex and gender. They said, no problem. So I get on the talk to this guy, talks to me for 25, 30 minutes. He, he lights up a cigarette. He looks at me and says, Cheryl, you're saner than the people who sent you here. <laughs> I got to run you through a full set of psychologicals. I said, hey, Hopkins just said, I said, don't worry. We'll run a set on these guys, nickel. Okay. So DOD paid for this set. They ran me through the ringer up at Hopkins again. Okay. Again, another letter comes back, says perfectly healthy woman took this test and somebody who should be a member of Bensa, you know, that kind of thing. Okay? Right, right. Okay. So bottom line, um, the bottom line with this thing, um, I got a copy of the letter on their letterhead, defense department letterhead. I had it decoupaged. You know, I remember they used to do that, put it on, you know, kind of on a nice piece of wood and then put it under shellac or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. I had a hanging in my office. So people would come into my office and say, Costa, you're crazy. I said, I got a letter that says I'm saying, what do you got? You know? <laughs> uh, nope. I've been tested. You can literally say that. <laughs> yes, I can. You know? So, uh, so that's kind of where that went, but uh, I was followed around at one point uh, there, through my change. Then after my change, I remember I had a television, I had a vocational besides my career. 
I had a vocational thread in my life. I produced theater. Right. I directed, wrote plays, produced theater at one of the, the theater companies here in, uh, in the suburbs of D.C. And, oh, by the way, I got an in with one of the TV stations and I started producing a cable television program about American witchcraft. Suddenly, me and the host of the show are being followed around by four different constabularies. Okay. And again, the DOD shows up and says, you know, said, don't you guys defend freedom of religion? And they backed off, but they did follow me around for quite a while. You know, you, you bring that up. And that was one of the uh, things I was going to ask you as we close out here. We've had people on our show, uh, uh, great people with a different worldview of things that are alien or that we don't understand are somehow related to demonic fallen angels, you know, the Prince of the air. Yeah. Biblical stuff. Right. Yeah. Now, and I did notice that in your bio about your writings and your experience with Wicca. Carterian queen priestess. You bet. Yeah. So 44 years. Do you think there that, these things, there might be some kind of a connection to the esoteric where it comes to like uh supernatural and that these things are not so much nuts and bolts as they are more supernatural. Consciousness. Yeah. It's kind of, okay. Some of them are probably hardware. Okay. Mm-hmm. Some of them are manifestations. Okay, and as somebody who is, is, as we joke about, walks with one foot on Main Street, one foot in a twilight zone, um, my witch friends and I are not rattled by the UFO phenomena because we've seen far weirder stuff working with magic, you know, um, and working with the, the metaphysical stuff. And consciousness is a big player. The universe is teeming. Let me say it this way. I'm going to talk as a priestess. The universe is teeming with life. Life, like Obi-Wan Kenobi said in Star Wars, the force binds the universe together. Okay. And uh, tons of life out there. Sentient life everywhere. Okay. And we're all connected to everyone, everywhere, every when. Okay. And I say it that way because people seem to think, oh, something in the future, something in the past, and we can't touch that. From my perspective, you can. Okay. And they're in, like Einstein said, all this stuff is happening at once. It's just a terribly persistent thing that makes us feel like we're in the present. Okay. But so the bottom line is, yeah, some of it, some of it's hardware, some of it is manifestation. Um, some of the beings that show up here don't even use a ship. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. There are beings here that are riding um, shotgun sharing consciousness space with people walking around on the street. Okay. Um, certain, certain things that there's like this handshake thing and they're not possessed. This is not a possession thing. Okay, it's like uh, you got Joe here, and Joe's got this alien piece of consciousness in him, we'll say. Okay, so it's like this handshake relationship. Now, when we hear about entanglement, most people think of entanglement like this okay, two fingers hooked together. The German word for entanglement, physics entanglement, is two wrists hanging on to each other. Okay, it's a very different very different thing 
So if you, they, a person has this, think of almost like a channeling experience where you connected to a being somewhere else. Okay. So 25% of you goes there and 25% of them comes here and rides shotgun and kind of is a passenger in the back seat to this vehicle. Okay. That's one way. Other ones, when I was a journalist, I mean, full-time journalist, I interviewed a dozen women who had been abducted by Grays and they took eggs and years later they had them come back and they introduced them to all their hybrid kids, the little kids. Okay. So lots of stuff's going on, but the consciousness is a big deal. Um, While a lot of people throw stones at Dr. Greer. Okay. I, I can't defend him. I don't know enough about it, but there's lots of people who are lining up to get, you know, throw stones at the guy. Okay. But the CEI five process, seen it work. I used to give advice. Remember I lived in a Buddhist monastery for seven years. Okay. I was a Buddhist nun, buzz cut, wore the Dalai Lama robes every day to Lockheed Martin. Okay. There were two of us there. And um, so the deal is, is that we understood consciousness very well. Our llamas, I, I got as big an education from my llamas about ET as I did from anybody else. Okay. And, and one of my llamas made this comment. Most people walking around on a day-to-day basis have no idea how much paranormal stuff is going on around them on a day-to-day basis. They've got this tunnel vision. We were all taught from a young age, oh, there's no such thing in your closet. There's no such thing under your bed. There's no such thing as ghosts. There's no such thing as UFOs. We've been told what not to believe is there. Now, are there are there demons out there like the uh, the, the the Christian right people who are the guys who are keeping Lou Alessandro from communicating the Secretary Mattis? Yeah, maybe there are bad guys every place. Okay, somebody says, "Well, do you know any people possessed?" And I said, "I would say the people who are possessed are the guys in the state houses in the states who are trying to outlaw trans people." I think they're all possessed personally. Okay, some kind of evil intent, but anybody that's got an ounce of compassion wouldn't be picking on these people the way they're doing. Okay, that's my attitude. Okay, right. But these, the, if you quiet your mind enough, if you practice meditation, a couple of minutes every day has to be every day, a couple of minutes every day, gradually work yourself up to 25 or 30 minutes worth of being quiet. No cell phones buzzing in your pocket, nothing like this. Being quiet. There's no, this is almost like the remote viewing stuff. You can shift your consciousness to a different place of space and time and space and experience it. And what's the term we use in remote viewing? Know by not, not know it by experiencing it, but know it by knowing it. Okay. I haven't been to the back set base on the back side of the moon, but all five classes I've taught in the last 25 years have been there. And those, they always come out of the session saying, I don't know where you sent us, but those folks didn't like us being there. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> you <know>? Well, <laughs> you know, that's not the first time we've heard stuff like that. I bet and, you haven't. Yes. You know, and, and as a science teacher, you know, it's like my world and so was Michelle's, but our world was just, turned upside down when we came across this large craft that 
you know, I wasn't a big follower of UFOs and neither was Michelle. Yeah. We had the pulp culture of star Wars and you know, all that stuff, you know, like everybody else. Cause you just, believe. Yes. yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. And then it's like, Holy crap. Is that a star destroyer? I mean, what is going on here? And then like you, a big Carillion ship, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, just crazy stuff. And as we dig deeper, further into this now, and, and this is our third year now of doing this and interviewing people, we constantly get these same kind of, of stories. I don't know if it's in the zeitgeist or whatever, but my God, it's, it's There's a consciousness uh, that's growing. In, yeah. In well, we're all connected. Like you said, in, well, in, if you'd seen the, are we all sharing night? this, right? Are if we all seen the audience it? last night after we gave them mm -hmm. and Linda made a comment last night when we came home, we were having that quiet drink before bedtime. We were sitting there. She says, those people had a magical experience. Mm -hmm. They were, this is like you talked about the, the, uh, the arc of the hero, you know, that initiating event. Mm -hmm. probably uh, probably half of them are going to go down the rabbit hole in the next two years you know yeah. you know what i mean you know yeah let me let me talk to you as a science scientist okay okay um i went to navy nuclear power school okay um i ended up having to wash out because i got mononucleosis while i was in school and they had to put me out for 80 days to recuperate. And then I started showing signs when they brought me back into class. The workload was so heavy, I started relapsing again. So they sure moved me into an advanced electronics program. But, okay, so I'm coming from a science background myself. Okay. Now, the stuff for remote viewing. In 1997, a, a trained physicist working for the same people who developed remote viewing. Okay. He, a guy by the name of James Spotswood. You Google James Spotswood physicist, you'll find him, probably find his paper, okay? He figured out, um, you know what sidereal time is? Yeah, that's based off the sun. No. Isn't it? Star, 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 star movement. Star okay? map. Star movement, 23 yeah. hour, 56 minute day. Not 24 hours. 23 right. hours, 56 minutes. Yep. He determined, he took a whole bunch of psychic tests didn't care what the test was, just rated based on the ones that were good, the ones were bad. And the ones that scored high, and I think he started out with like 2,000, 2,500, something like that, okay? And he found out that there was a two-hour window where the yield was between 250 and 450%. Now, it's sidereal time, though. So it's 1330 LST, 1330 sidereal time. So a half hour, either way of that, it's 450% yield. And within an hour, either way of 1330, okay, it's, it's, it's a two, about an average of 250, okay? Yeah. And suddenly, he couldn't, he couldn't reconcile it. He says, it's got to be a fluke went back and got another 14, 1500 of these tests and cranked the numbers again through his process and son of a gun, it kept coming out the same thing. Now we have suddenly in 1997, we have a physical manifestation representing something associated with ESP, which had never been done before. Okay. So um, it's something I teach my witch students. I have a book called, it's on Amazon. It's called uh, uh, Magical Musings of a Rogue Witch. Okay. 
and uh, I teach the high level of magical physics in the book. Only 144 pages, small book. Okay, okay. Magic is simpler than people think. Okay, and uh, and basically the argument that I made in the book is is that a lot of witches ignore this, but if you if you manage to do your timing right. Um, and you don't have to have it down to the second. You only have to be within an, within 30 minutes to get into that window. Uh, if you do your meditations and divining or do your act of magic during that window of time, you have a better chance of having the thing work properly. Now, why? Because witches, we turn thought into form. Talk to Buddhists, turn thought into form. Okay. The idea is, is that you have to be able to communicate to the great consciousness that we're all wired to, not God, it's beyond God, okay? We have to be able to communicate our intentions to this thing, but not verbally. You see a movie and there's some magician there or some great sorcerer reading this great ancient thing. No, you can't talk to the subconscious, the, the younger self or this, the deep subconscious with words. It doesn't understand words. It has to be done with symbology. It has to be done with quietness of mind, discipline, and if uh, either physical symbols or things. That's why you can see things like runestones, things like this. They mean something, but only in a context of a, a, a visual context all right so here's the deal person wants to do really good remote viewing schedule it for this period of time now half the year it's during it's in the middle of the night and i know a lot of magicians say i'm not gonna end up at three o'clock in the morning and do a ritual you know okay fine great don't but we figured out i wrote an article and i'll even send you a link to the article i wrote an article published in wiccan magazine about three four years ago that pagan holidays are on a schedule that, you know, like a winter solstice, seven, eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Karnak, Egypt lights up a particular temple. There's Seti sitting there next to the three of the gods, you know, on each side of them, that type of thing. Go to a higher latitude, go up to Newgrange in Ireland for the three days of the winter solstice around nine o'clock in the morning, this one channel deep in that mound lights up with the morning sun. That is the peak of that 1330 cycle, give or take a few minutes. Okay. They, the ancients knew something about how to calculate by looking at the stars at night. And they did all of these, built all these mounds at points at sunrises and solstices and all this stuff. They knew Absolutely. it was a clock. Okay. Yeah. So that's the deal. So yeah, this consciousness stuff is a big deal. Deep spirituality of the 4,400 people that went, that Dr. Edgar Mitchell's people interviewed. Ray Hernandez. I hope you've had him on. If you can't get him on Ray Hernandez. Okay. Ray's a great guy. And uh, really smart. He's a, a doctor of legal studies. He's, he was a lawyer. Okay. Didn't they do and, that huge research project? Yes. Right. The, yeah, the book, their book the Edgar is Mitchell. that thick. Yeah. yeah Dr. It, it's called uh, Beyond UFOs. Yes. And one yep. thing Ray and I had a great argument about one at one of the conferences was the fact that he could take an agnostic person, he goes to ET, comes back spiritual, take a Bible thumper, goes up there, all, all kinds of theology, comes back spiritual it changes you 
spirituality isn't about gods and goddesses. It's, it's about being connected to the force to use a more modern mythology. Okay. And it's a big deal. And if you're connected to the force, then all the rest of this stuff makes complete sense. All of it makes everything in the paranormal community. You know, UFO people don't want to talk to the ghost people. They don't want to talk to the Bigfoot people. They don't want to talk to any of the other metaphysical things. It's all one phenomena. Okay. And that's what people are missing because they keep trying to stovepipe it into it's a separate thing by itself. It's when you look at it in a bigger picture, it's all related. So it's an amazing thing. I can do a whole show on just that with you. I was going to say, we could probably talk about that for another couple hours easily. Here's my uh, book. Okay. Magical musings of a rogue witch. All right. (laughs) Very interesting. So what happens is when a wicked priest or priestess retires, they expect you to, uh, at least in my lineage, they expect you to write about either your your life in magic or your... um, uh, maybe the history of your coven, something, you know, something like this. And some people do that. Some people talk about their, just their life. I decided to do something very different. I decided to take on magical mechanics. And essentially I took the approach of, I'm not going to teach you how to light candles or mix incense or anything. I'm going to tell you about how the physics of magic works. I'm going to cut it right down. There won't be any chance. There won't be any gods and goddesses. I'm going to teach you the physics of man to high physics of magic and that's all i talk about in the book and it rattles them because people who've been reading the book come back and say uh when i was reading your book it felt like i was in the room with you okay that's part of the magic wow very personal so it, it it's a very real phenomena and a lot of people in clandestine places know this stuff works Okay. Give an example. One of our uh, two different remote viewing classes, one of the target cards. I didn't know that card was in that thing. We had a, we had a basket of a hundred envelopes. Okay. So when we were doing the class, somebody else stuffed the envelopes, but I had a couple of cards I gave to those people and they stuffed them in. And I had no idea which one of the hundred, 150 envelopes in there had it. But one of the envelopes was the white house. The students came back and said, we can't go there. That's what I mean. They're in the session. We're going in and they all dropped their pens. So we can't do this. We're not supposed to be there. They had no idea what the target was. It's war- the White House is warded. So who in our government learned how to do a magical warding in the White House? In certain military installations, we also discovered are warded magically. Wow. Well, then that, that brings up... Uh things i'm kind of trying to get into a little bit about this collins elite i don't familiar with them i'm not familiar with the term Uh, it has something to do with the people that are kind of going against elizondo but they are of a a different they're they're like from like crowley time frame and more dark left-hand path things i've been told in more of the dark arts and using consciousness okay. for it's, it's all the same magic. There's no such thing as black. It's a magic. tool being used it, for it's bad things. It's, yeah. You can use a gun to hunt, to feed your family, right. or you can kill somebody with it. It's the same tool. Okay. So 
the only difference between white magic and black magic is the ethics of the person executing it and what they use it for, period. So anyways, apparently, you know, there's people in the government that are very aware of that and and they're kind of stonewalling Elizondo as well. I'm not exactly sure. I don't how know if that... it's those as much as there was uh, evangelicals that was basically did not want our government and our planet uh, interacting with uh, aliens that they 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 perceive that it's something from I got uh, Nick Nick Pope to explain it to me. Uh, oh yeah, uh, uh, the, the Prince of the Air or something like that. You know, uh, yeah. They did. They said these guys are going to be our downfall. They're they're demons. You know, exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. The fact is, is that we've got enough demons on our own planet with our own culture. Okay. And um, uh, we've had enough bad ethics in our own culture. Doesn't take much more to put people over the edge. I mean, we've got something that looks like some places in this country right now look like Germany, 1933, for God's sakes, you know. So um, we're on a very, very delicate tipping point, and we all have to be very careful about it. And uh, yeah, there's people going after Alessandro. There, he was walking around when I first met him at conferences wearing a bulletproof vest. I believe he's, it. He's had that many threats, you know, and they made a comment on the program he had on History Channel. You know, nothing's going to stop me from speaking except the bullet in the head, you know, and that's how I well, felt. You know, yeah. and I'm sort of the same view. Um, it, it, people say, well, you know, uh, they got this new thing that you can come out if you've had this clearance. I said, well, one, I've never had any exposure to UFOs at the kind of level where I had to worry about a security clearance. Okay. But the bottom line is, he said, well, why can't you just tell us what you know, you know, about anything? And I said, because I took a security oath. And yep. I understood when I went into that aspect of the military, that aspect of the duties, that there were going to be some things that I was going to be doing or exposed to that my family, my loved ones, everyone who cares for me will never know what I did for my country. And, and I will have to take what I know to my grave. Okay. People don't get that. Okay. Yeah. People don't get that. And uh, it's a very, very um, tight thing you have to deal with. And you're basically given the opportunity not to even get into it. Okay. You know, but once you're into it, the work is interesting. The work is good. You just have to understand on my ship, if we were ever captured, there was about 35 of us of a crew of about 130 that would not get off the ship alive. Yeah, the, the, the proverbial bullet with your name on it. Yeah. So that's the nature of these things. You cannot be captured. Yep. Well, you know, this has been just absolutely fascinating. This has got to be heavy one of the, at the end there. Didn't no, to. no. But, you know, it's uh, this is great because it, it brings on a whole nother perspective yet again about what is going on here. And here's somebody who's absolutely uh, done the data analysis of what we have and you know i wish you would be able to go and i don't know if you can or not but could you go back through the 90s and look at that stuff that would be awesome because in michigan here we had incredible ufo sightings in, in 94 all right, was all right let me give you the numbers let me give you the numbers on this okay when the white book came out people said to us cheryl why didn't you go back 40 years that's the golden age of UFOs. No, it's the 
golden age of when UFOs were reported in the newspaper. Trust me. So when we, we were working on the pink book, we took one essay that we wrote, a couple of pages of essay. I went to National UFO Reporting Center, brought down 1960 to 2000. Went to MUFON, asked them for a dump. It didn't care about the write-ups. All they wanted was dates, years, and states. Okay, that's all I wanted. We put them together. Very difficult process to put these two databases together. Put the process together, and we did a chart. And you saw two. You saw 1960 to 2000. You saw the characteristic little hump going along there, peak years and minimal years, things like this. And people were, "Wow, that's really cool." But it all amounted to about 15,500 for the for the 40 years. I've got that many, 2011, 2012, and 2013 each year. Yeah. If that was the golden age, we are in that bloody diamond age right now. <laughs> That's what people don't get because they're not hearing about it. The papers won't talk about it. Okay. Yeah. And they, they treat us like we're idiots. Okay. And we're not. And no. this is the deal. I'm passionate about it because I, I know the truth. Okay. Yep. And the audience last night, Walked down there and said, "My God, we know the truth." And yeah. I had old little old lady says, "Why has our government been lying to us like this?" I said, "Now you get it, you know." Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's a little subversive. A couple old feminists doing causing subversion, that type of thing. Any last <laughs> questions from your partner there? <laughs> yep. Actually, she's uh chomping at the bit. Yeah. Well, and, and this Please. is a signature question for us. Sure, Aside sure. from the research and looking into the data from Michigan and the fact that you're our neighbor to the South, do you have any other ties to the state of Michigan? Me personally? Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, I've spoken at the convention up there in up, on, up near the peninsula twice. Okay. That's a connection. Hey, yeah. Was that, um, a, um, what uh, they call Deb that Michigan? Yeah, yeah. I, I spoke there this past year, uh, this year, uh, last year. Linda and I both went up there and gave our presentation up there. Uh, we were rather shocked. It was only a five and a half hour drive from Cleveland. So we're mm -hmm. driving up there, get into Michigan and get, uh, to get out of the D Detroit area. You know, we're driving up there and all we kept seeing was billboards for pot dispensaries. And oh, yeah. Linda, yeah. Linda's a little pothead and she's going, Wow, you know, <laughs> this is cool, you know. Yeah, now um, you can throw a rock out your front door and hit a dispensary pretty much. They, that's what it was like, you know. Yeah. And there were every every shape and form. We, we were driving around the little town where all that stuff is <laughs> up in Lake Houghton. And they, they had like about five of these places, you know. And they're all doing a roaring business. <laughs> but um, well, my only other connection with Michigan, uh, one of my best friends from high school lives in the... Um, Holland, Michigan area. Okay. Oh, okay. That's that's yeah. about my only connections to Michigan. But we did Michigan right along with all the other books. But we did we did it number we did it as our number two book because we were trying to get it done in time for the convention last summer. Last gotcha. Fall. Okay. Yeah, we were trying to get it done. We thought we could have it done by last fall. We thought we might, um, but. I took two months at one point last spring. I took, I was fried. I took two months off and did something else for two months. I was just totally cooked. Understandable. And um, uh, I had to take a break and walk back away from it a little bit. And then I was able to come back to it. Plus I, we, we had a few conventions. We had to go talk to um, Pine Bush in New York. 
Okay, okay. we had to go talk at Pine Bush, and there was a couple other ones that remember there were all these conventions are just coming back online after COVID. I right. got an invitation today uh, for Contact in the Desert in June, and I've got I just got invited to Roswell for July. So the conventions are coming back; they're they're yeah. moving back to life. So this is good. Uh, no other connections to Michigan, but we made Michigan number one and number two in our book publishing because we tried to get it out in time for the conference. We couldn't. Okay. And just one last thing. How can sure. people find you on the web email? Um, hackers took make- my website at a part three, four times. So we stopped having one. Okay. Um, if they want to touch me, uh, they can email me at Cheryl Costa, all one word, Cheryl with a C, Costa with a C, Cheryl Costa, all one word, dot, uh, let's say dot UFO at G at gmail.com. Okay. That's an email to me. If they want the Michigan book or any other book, go to Amazon, go to the book search and it has to be on Amazon because we publish exclusively through them. Okay. okay. So if you go to Amazon, go into book search and whatever your state is, in this case, it's uh, Michigan. So you say UFOs in Michigan, boom, you're, you're going to see the book. And we price these things with a minimal profit. So they're all, almost all of them are under $15. They're in the, anywhere in the um, 9 to $19 range. So we made them extremely affordable. I'm looking at the UFOs in Michigan and where to find them book right now. And they have the paperback here for $13.95. So yep. it's a, it's a there bargain. You go. It's a bargain. Yeah. Um, so, so awesome. We had to do a lot of wrestling with that idea, uh, you know, how to price the thing. Our yeah. desk references are much more expensive because they're considered a reference book and reference books. You typically charge more. Otherwise nobody believes it's a good reference book. Right. So yeah, but the, the, the individual state books, we wanted to be great. Oh, that was the thing Linda and I wanted to be. We wanted to be the mother. We're the mothers of UFO, uh, UFO statistics, but we wanted to be the mothers of UFO grassroots disclosure. And there that's you what go. these books are. Yeah, these, these this is amazing. So I'm going to get my hands on on both of those here soon. And uh, I can't wait to dive into them, especially the Michigan one, obviously. Should so, be fun. And if yeah. you ever, we, we put a thing in the book, it's in the Verso page, you know, the page with all the copyright information and everything. Yeah. And most people don't read that, you know, but if you look at that page, there's an address in there for UFO Scholar Publisher at Gmail. If you need some kind of special report run, um, we say, drop us a line. We'll run it for you. And if it turns up something, we'll make a PDF and mail it back to you. Happy to do it. Okay. I won't give you the whole database. I won't give well, you the right. whole Michigan manuscript again, <laughs> but I will get, I will give you, if you need a special, I had, a, uh, I, I offered it to MUFON investigators. Only two guys ever took me up on it. They were New York state investigators. And they said, Hey, we had a cluster down in a particular area. Can you run a report on it for this County? And, and I got them to give me zip codes and I ran it against that. And they were just delighted to get the information. So, uh, because especially it's coming from two databases. So it gives them the bigger picture than just CMS from, from uh, MUFON, you know, which only yeah. is only about 30 or 40% of the data. But okay. That's the best way. They want to touch me, get the book. If they want to email me, I gave you the email address. Uh, don't feel like you want to tell your people. I'm not a reporting service. Don't write me an email and tell me all of your sightings you've ever had. Go to MUFON, go to New Fork, report yes. it retroly to them. I don't collect data. 
Okay, I don't, because I'm not a reporter anymore. I don't listen to other people's stories. But if you want to ask me statistical questions or run a special report for you, I'll consider working with you on it for nothing. Awesome. Very cool. All right, Cheryl, this has been amazing. Interesting and, two hours, huh? Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, exactly. It's exactly at nine o'clock. That ma- that magical was, number. I was going to say, Wayne, he, Wayne was like, you know, I, I think, you know, we'll be able to have her on for about an hour. <laughs> yeah. Two, two hours later. <laughs> Amazing. Let me give you one real quick. Um, there used to be a, there used to be a show. Um, it used to be the, used to be the old, um, Art Bell show. Okay. okay. The original one. But then you know, Nori got it and everything, but there was another one that was in the desert. Okay. Midnight in the desert or something like this. Uh, it was the staff that had worked with, um, uh, Art Bell. Okay. And, uh, when the first book came out, the lady said to me, she says, this is long form, Cheryl. Are you going to, this is a four hour show. Can you keep up with this? You think, I mean, you got the statistics. I mean, you, you can't talk numbers that long. And I said, honey, we will run out of time. Yeah. And we sat there and talked off. Of course, they had commercials and things. We talked off the four hours and bloody hell, we ran out of time for what we were talking about. Yeah. So uh, that's how these things always go. I can go to distance with people on this stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, once again, this has been awesome. We Anytime you to... want me back, feel free. Uh, we can talk UFOs. We can talk specific when the shapes start coming out or when the hotspots book gets ready to be published. Uh, have me back. I'll let you know when it's, Absolutely. Uh, when it's about. And we can talk about the hotspots. Uh, originally identified like 728 of them. Um, we're doing different criteria now, but it's going to be a big number. And uh, it'll be an interesting conversation because we have two different ways to find hotspots. And they're not, they don't always line up together. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. It sounds great. All right. Well, okay. we want to say thank you very much. And uh, we will be in touch. Wayne and Michelle. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye. Thank you. Have a great night. Michelle, that was an interview that uh, had a lot of numbers going on. (laughs) I was going to say, I actually like statistics. Yeah, so do I. And it's crazy being an English teacher that I can say that I like that sort of stuff. Very interesting when you can break things down by zip code and you start hearing numbers, you know, but the question that keeps popping up in my head is if we didn't have social media or if people truly knew how to accurately report such sightings, would the numbers be higher? Because I see so many, you know, stories popping up on social media, on different groups, you know, whether it's, um, you know, community news out of the city or, you know, downriver pages where people will go on and they'll tell about a sighting. But then I don't think that they take it anything further than that. Right. They think by putting it on social media that that's that is, all they need to do to report the UFO. Well, yeah, people, and it's like, not. No, and it's like you're the, I just, that's where I think the numbers are skewed. 
So because so many people just turn to their their phones or their keyboards and, you know, put it out there in story form or ask people in the, the community groups, hey, did you see this at such and such a time? Or, you know, so-and-so told me that they saw this. And it's like they're reporting it that way. But then, unfortunately, that data is not being put in with the numbers, you know, for the particular zip codes and areas. So I guess that's where my mind is still swimming around. It's like if if people knew how to accurately report these, go to MUFON, folks, go to MUFON. Well, there's two places that you need to go to report a UAP or unidentified flying object, a UFO. And those two websites would be MUFON. M-U-F-O-N, that's the Mutual UFO Network.com. And you go to their website, and right there at the top of the website, you can talk about reporting an abduction. You can file a report on a UFO that you may have seen. So that's the first place you can go, and that your, your uh, information will get into their database. And then the other place you can go is the National UFO Reporting Center, and that is nufoc.org. And right on the top of the page, when you get to that, that website, it says file a report. And you want to go in there and file a report as well. And those two databases, as far as I understand, and according to what like Cheryl was saying, was those two databases don't talk to each other. So it'd be good to file a report in both of those places because Cheryl drew data from MUFON and the National UFO Reporting Center to put their data together and come up with uh, their statistics that they did. So file a report on both of those websites and that data helps look for hot spots and things like that. I just, I think the number, well, obviously we know that the numbers would be higher if people reported them. Um, yeah, so everybody get out there and report. Well, and also depending on the time of day or night. Well, I mean, look at our communication corner email. That is true. Ryan Coming out of Madison Ice. made a video and we've seen it now. I am in possession of it and it's definitely a UFO. I, I can say that. That is, that is a UFO. Way up in the sky during the day. I, that's going to be one of our discussion topics, I think, yeah, next Saturday. So, yeah. So, next Saturday when we do our uh, live stream, come join us and I will be playing that video. And yeah. we'll talk about it and take a look at it. Um, and you can join in and uh, join the conversation and chat with everybody. Join the party. Join the party. It's a lot of fun. Now, uh, before you guys sign off, make sure that you head over to... Over to Linktree, check out some of those links. Yes. Need some alien swag. Yeah, we need to come up with like some season three stuff now. Oh, time to talk to Abby again. Yeah, our our artist. We need some new stuff for season three. Once again, Linktree is the links that will take you to all of our little websites for any type of support of the podcast. So once again, thanks everybody. Uh, Michelle. I think it's time for us to get out of here. It is. Have a great night, everyone. All right, everybody. And remember, keep those eyes to the sky. What the hell is... You 
You have been listening to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. You can reach us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mi underscore UFO and join our Facebook group by searching for Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters. So until next time.